get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. For me, it's about the level of competition the Cardinals will face, how they're going to stack up against it, and what they look like when, you know, I know that, again, it is May, and these aren't the same as games in September necessarily, but they do have the same level of competition and maybe, you know, the right to prove, you know, that, hey, we can take on these best teams. We are one of these best teams, too. Why is nobody talking about us? That was Katie Wu on with us last week. She's going to join us coming up at 1130 with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I am back. I am exhausted, but I can't wait to do the next three hours with you guys to avoid what is waiting for me when I get home, which is a hell of a lot more moving that I have to you know, do. I was curious why you came in with crutches, and I just <laughs> can only assume it was from lifting heavy boxes over the weekend, right? Guys, we put together so much crap over the weekend we'll get into that as we go along today but my god moving is exhausting all right so the cardinals had a weekend opportunity to make a statement right it lost a little bit of its luster this series did when fernando tatis jr will myers eric cosmer jerks and profar all ruled out because of COVID protocols you darvish wasn't scheduled to start against the cardinals i was like all right the cardinals could still at least take advantage of an opportunity going up against a good team even if they're not at full strength And then the walks started happening and then they kept happening and they really never stopped over the course of the weekend. They lose five, four, 13, three and five, three quick sweep easy for the Padres. They go home. Happy Cardinals come home unhappy. Alex, what was your biggest takeaway from this series over the weekend? That certainly didn't go as any of us had planned Uh, that. This is not the Cardinals team that we were talking about last week. Like they just went Jekyll and Hyde on us in, in a weekend and Going into this series, because of all of those absences, part of me was like, okay, it'll be a good measuring stick still, but without those guys in the lineup, you don't really know what you have because you're not going against that elite competition. Offensively, I was a little disappointed because, I mean, we're looking at, what, 11 runs score, 10 runs scored between those three games against two pitchers that are okay, and then one Solid. with Lebet. I'm like, okay, I can see that one. But yeah, it comes down to the walks, and really it comes down to the bullpen. I, I mean... Wainwright gets lit up. That was going to happen. Oviedo gets lit up. I called that, by the way. Oviedo, not good. John Gant, good at baseball. And then and then the last one with KK. And KK, I mean, his definition of that game was walk city. So I was more concerned with the bullpen because it feels like, one, you taxed those guys going into that second game where Wainwright gave up, what, six runs in the first two innings. And then by game number three last night, I'm thinking, well, there's no way this bullpen is going to be able to do anything, and KK allows it. So, not good. No, not good. And the walks are the biggest takeaway for me. And the thing that you mentioned, we've mentioned, you know, they were shorthanded, the Padres were, makes me wonder, how would you stack up if they're healthy? You just got swept, and I get it. It's a different, who knows, could have been, should have been, whatever. But if they're healthy and you're walking these guys, those guys have better play discipline than what we just saw. 
I, I'm curious to know what you would have done against a healthy Padres roster. The walks are the biggest problem, and they're the one thing that's plaguing the Cardinals right now. So the walks were the biggest takeaway for me, and just the fact of the matter that the offense, I, I don't know. I didn't take too much away from that. I thought the offense was fine. Could they have done a little bit more? Maybe. But the walk's the biggest killer for me with the pitching. And, and, and then, like I said, I am curious to know what you would have done against a healthy Padres team. Me too. Um, I think it would have, if they pitched the way that they did over the weekend against a healthy Padres team, I mean, it would have been ugly. It was already ugly. It would have been even worse. Yeah, absolutely. The Cardinals ended up walking 26 Padres hitters in the series. 10 of those 26 that reached base on a walk came around to score eventually. Two others resulted in an RBI, so they walked them with the bases loaded. It was ugly. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it. You guys had Buster only on the show on Friday. I'm never going to forgive you for that. Um, and happens when you take off work. He said something interesting that basically was able to pretend what we saw over the weekend. Here's what Buster said and why I think it's so important for the Cardinals. If you're a team that can play defense and you can pitch, you're going to be in good spot. And when you got Molina behind the plate, and you got Arnado playing third base and Paul DeYoung playing shortstop and Goldschmidt at first base, uh, you know, Harrison Bader in center field. You got a great defensive team. And it's cool to see Jack Flaherty, I think, uh, you know, becoming the, the pitcher we all, you know, expected that he would become. Just pitch to it. Like, that's the thing that's so frustrating watching these walks. You have the best defense in baseball behind you. Harrison Bader's back, and he's making circus plays every single night. You've got Tyler O'Neill, who, yeah, I know, a little bit of a misplay last night. He's been good in left field. Dylan Carlson's been excellent in right. Your infield defense, we've been talking about it all year. Yes, Paul DeYoung going down makes it a little worse. You got Matt Carpenter in there, but you're still good defensively on the infield, and yet they're walking all these guys. Cardinals bullpen right now, you mentioned it, Alex. That's the biggest concern. Their bullpen walk rate would be the highest of any team in baseball in 50 years. Is that good? 50 years. Hey, setting records. They're walking 15% of the batters that they face. One Uh, out of every... Not great. No, it's not, Mo. One out of every six guys, basically, that comes to the plate is getting on base via walk. That is atrocious. It cannot continue. It cannot sustain itself. You've got a great defense behind you. When you put the ball in play, your defense is converting it into outs more often than not. Use it. Just use it. And if they can do that, this team's going to be just fine. I am not freaking out after the weekend at all. I know you went up against a team that was maligned by injuries, but it happens, right? Sometimes you go into a series, you just don't have it. You move forward. The walks are something that can be the Achilles heel for this team if they allow it to be. You've got to fix that. I think it's important to to break it down because you can't just say it was the bullpen in its entirety because sure. Giovanni Gallegos went scoreless for one and a third. Alex Reyes, yeah, he had a walk, but he got through the inning clean, which he's done all season. Um, and even Henesis Cabrera, who went, what, one and two thirds yesterday and went scoreless through that. These guys are the ones we've been confident in all, all season long. It's the depth of bullpen right now because underbelly. Tyler Webb, a little concerning. Maybe hopefully a turf toe is going to get better for Andrew Miller soon so we can get another lefty in that bullpen. I know, but Tyler Webb has had a couple of bad outings. He's Jay- also like one of the frustrations that I've had. It's sorry to interrupt no, you, Alex, but they haven't thrown these guys. Like this was the yeah. first time that some of their relievers had thrown in a week and a half. Well, I thought they went missing. Well, when Spider- Jake Woodford, it was the first time I think in like ten days that he had well, thrown. And, and what are we doing? For Jake I Woodford, he was on the roster. Yeah, I didn't even know this guy was on the roster. Like, where's Ponce de Leon right now? Like, he's hurt. Oh, okay, he's hurt. <laughs> 
But like, I didn't even know Jake Woodford was a thing right now. I thought he was in Memphis for some reason. And then he comes walking out of the Fair. bullpen. I'm like, where the hell did this guy come from? But it's it's Seth Elledge. I mean, Cody Whitley looked good for you. And it's your guy that you made us put in the circle and yeah, trust Ryan Helsley. That's your fault, Tanner. It'll be fine. It'll but be the fine. back end of your bullpen is fine. It's that middle portion right now. It's the depth of your bullpen that needs to be resolved. Matt and Carpenter looked good. At Carpenter might be a better pitcher right now than a hitter for this team. But the reason I say all of this is I feel like this can get resolved in a couple of different ways. And one is going to be when Miles Michaelis returns. He had a scoreless outing and hit a home run last night, I think, for Memphis. Oh, yeah. Let That's pitchers right. hit, baby. Pitchers raking right now. I think some of this gets resolved when John Gant moves to the bullpen. Because then you're not utilizing these guys too much. You have another player who can go two innings for you if you need him from the bullpen. John Gant's better than Oviedo. Just chill out John over there. John Gant walks as many people as the bullpen does. What's his ERA? Yeah, Look, I, I get it. I know. But. And that's when he goes two times through the order. Imagine if he's just going once through the order. That's that's my thing is if he's at max effort, I think that you will yeah. see the walks go down a little bit. We'll see, but I, I think you could. Walks less than Oviedo. Here's the guys that allowed multiple walks over the course of the weekend. Tyler Webb, Alex Reyes, Ryan Helsley, Junior Fernandez, Jake Woodford, Cody Whitley, Seth Elledge. That's just from the bullpen. Like, I love that's Junior seven. Fernandez is like, okay, might need to go back seven to Seven relievers allowed multiple walks over the course of the weekend. It's It's got to get fixed. It's the biggest issue. We've been harping on it all year. I know I'm probably, it sounds like a broken record, but it's it's concerning. That's, that's the number one concern for this team right now. All right, that's the bad from the weekend. Can we talk about the good? Was it Matt Carpenter pitching scoreless? Oh, no. Because I don't want to hear that. It's Mr. 95%. Arenado, a drive yeah. in the deep left field, gone! It's a one-run game. First pitch, out of here! My God, this guy is good. God. I mean, it is so much fun to be able to consistently watch Nolan Arenado at his craft. Has it been exactly what I expected defensively? No, I'm going to be honest with you. It hasn't. There's been a few more misplays than I expected it to, to be. What happened to positivity? Come but, on now. But offensively, you could not expect anything more from this guy. Alex, he hit a home run in all three games over the weekend out in San Diego. His batting average is up to 300. He's 10th in the National League now in OPS Plus, which is just for his ballpark where he's playing. He's 6th in slugging percentage in the National League. He has the 8th best strikeout rate in the National League. He doesn't even strike out. What more could you ask for? And oh, by the way, can I give you his pace real quick? His pace? What are we measuring his running? Well, he we are a quarter of the way through the season. God. Officially. These numbers. He is on pace for 50 doubles. These are even numbers for you. 50 doubles, 35 home runs, 108 RBI, and fewer than 100 strikeouts. That's beautiful. You know the last Cardinals player to do that with those numbers? Albert Pujols. He's the only guy to do it. He did it twice. He did it in 2003 and 2004. That's pretty good. Nolan Arnato is everything you could ask for and then some, and I just... I wanted to take a moment today, especially in our open when there's a lot of negative coming out of the weekend. Man, that guy is an absolute pleasure to watch at the plate. 100%. That's 95%. not even not, no, that's not even 95%. <laughs> that's 100%. In my opinion, he's top 4 right now in MVP for the National League. I mean, you got Acuña Jr., you got Freeman, I think Chris Bryant's probably up there. But I mean, Nolan Arenado has to be up there with what he has done in the middle of this order. I I mean, we've talked so much about Tommy Edmond being the MVP of the team, and I would agree. I think he is number one on that list. But Nolan Arenado is right there because we said all offseason, they need a guy who can be a threat in the middle of the lineup. And right now, Nolan Arenado is that. You could pitch him outside low, upside, inside, wherever you want to go. He's going to take it deep. 
And that's what Nolan Arenado, I mean, nine home runs, guys, at this portion of the season. When was the last time a Cardinal had nine home runs at this portion of the season? Been a minute. It's been a while. 100%. No more 95%. It's 100% now. He looked incredible over the weekend. Like you said, only positive from the weekend, even though then you threw a negative at it, which was kind of weird. It was like a crap sandwich to pass <laughs> talking about. Yeah, BK does it a lot. Uh, he looked really good. And I agree with you. I think he is top four in MVP right now. I I think he will finish top three in MVP voting this year, if I had to guess. I think he wins it. You think Whoa. he ends up winning it? Mark that down. Yep. I think he wins it. I think I said that in the offseason. No, so so say it with your chest a little say bit. Say it with your chest. Nolan Arenado is going to win the NL MVP this year. I like it. One I respect it. Thank it. 12 on May the 17th. Hey, we're going to play a game today. It's called Three Strikes. It's very simple. You guys love trivia. You get it on the morning show. You get it on the afternoon show. We figured, okay, why don't we go ahead and play a trivia game as well? But ours is going to give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets this Wednesday night to the Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Pirates. Yeah, you don't get a silly little trophy. No, 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 no. We're giving you a four-pack of tickets to this Wednesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Pirates. The Budweiser Bash features an exclusive Ken Reitz bobblehead with a portion of each ticket supporting the Ken Reitz Foundation. Get all details for Wednesday's game and the Budweiser Bash now at cardinals.com backslash promotions. So the way this is going to work Alex, we are going to give a code word away once an hour in the 11 o'clock hour, the 12 o'clock hour and the one o'clock hour and your chance to win the four pack of tickets will come up at 115. What you need to do, be listening all day long. You'll get your three code words and then right before the 115 segment, you will text those three code words in to 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. And if you are selected, you'll play our trivia game for your chance to win the four pack of tickets to Wednesday night's game. That makes sense. So you'll get three code words of the course of the show today. You'll text those in at 115, and then you'll have an opportunity to play in our trivia contest. If you get the three things right, you will end up going to Wednesday night. Better game. be listening. It's 11:14. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up at 11:30, we've got Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider. We have uh, Dan Rosen of NHL.com joining the show at 1:30 as well. Coming up next. David Perron, it does not look like the Blues are going to be getting him back, at least for the early portion of this series. What does that mean for the team going up against the Avalanche? I'll ask Alex Ferrario next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Uh, David's on the COVID protocol list right now, so that's all that's all dealt with the NHL. So that was the uh, long statement that Craig Berube. Oh, you're not going to play his other three same statements when the question was asked again and again and again? He's on the COVID protocol list. Yep, yep. So uh, Craig Berube, long and elaborate on exactly what's taking place right now with David Perron. Listen, he, he's probably not going to play in this series if I had to guess. That's that's pure skip speculation by me. At the very least, the Blues are expecting to be without him early on in this series because of the COVID list, the protocols. So, Alex, I, I think it's very simple. What does this mean? Like, if, if you're the Blues, this was the guy that was second on the team and poor first on the team, rather, in points this season. He was the first guy for the Blues in 17 years to finish with a point per game. I mean, what, what do the Blues do to be able to make up for this loss? 
It's not going to be easy. I mean, this is a massive hit for the St. Louis Blues to be without David Perron. And look, the hope is that it's a false positive. But if you go back in the cases of Sanford and Blay, when they had their false positives, I think they were only on that COVID protocol list for one day, and then they came off of it the next. And Perron's been on it now for three days, I think. So not looking great. Look, if you don't have him, it is the next man up mentality. And that's what the Blues have done for so long. And I think they can get away with that. The good news is it looks like Tarasenko is going to be returning. Um, so if I were a betting man, I would slide the Vladimir Tarasenko onto that top line or I'd maybe shift him down to the second line. You could do a lot of things because you were heavy on the right wing position. You got Kairou, you got Tarasenko. And I think that's good because both guys deserve to be in a top six situation. Now. The problem with those two compared to David Perron is David Perron has a nastiness to him. David yeah. Perron has a tenacity or tenacity to him on the ice that I don't think any of those guys can replicate. He's the one that forechecks. He's the one that throws the body check. He will go to the front of the net. He's got an incredible shot. All of those elements are something that somebody's going to have to dig deep and find in their own game. Do players... Have that ability on this roster? Yeah, Tarasenko can do it. We saw it in the playoffs, specifically against the San Jose Sharks when they went to that cup final uh, and won the Stanley Cup against Boston. Uh, Jaden Schwartz can do this. Hopefully he hits that playoff magic. Braden Shen can do this if he gets pushed to a right-wing position. So there's guys that can do it, but this is a massive blow that for the Blues, they're going to have to have a lot of guys step up to the next level if they want to have any success in the series. Yeah, JR sent out over the weekend that th- based on what he saw, the rushes and whatnot, it seems like he's expecting, and this could change by the game tonight, Schwartz, Shin, and O'Reilly on that top line with Barbashev, Bozak, and Tarasenko as your second line, and then that would leave Hoffman, Thomas, and Cairo, mm-hmm. I would imagine, as your third line, the same as it's been lately. I think this puts a lot of pressure on that Hoffman, Thomas, Cairo line. Like they, they've got to get out there and contribute offensively. And in some ways, I actually think you could make a case. That's your second line going into this series, as opposed to the Bozak, Barbie, Tarasenko line. You could just drop that down. However you want to label them doesn't much matter. It, it puts a lot of pressure on other guys to be able to step up and score offensively. And you mentioned maybe even more important than that, Alex, something that you lose with Perron not being in the lineup is any time I hear a Blues player or an opposing team say, hey, who's the guy that you hate playing against? You hate going up against that guy for whatever reason. He's just, he's talking your ear off. He's chippy all game long. It's always David Perron. That's the number one guy that they mention on the Blues. And now you don't have that. He's not out there in the lineup. So you you can't put a number. You can't quantify what that means. But going up against a team like the Avalanche, we know the Blues' top line, O'Reilly and Perron and whoever's up there with them, has done really well, for whatever reason, against the number one line for the Avalanche, and that's the number one line in hockey this year. Does that sustain? Can that continue when you don't have Perron on there? I don't know. I hope so, but that's going to be one of the biggest keys to this series is who replaces not just the point production from Perron, but also the chippiness that he brings to the ice. Well, and that's going to be the thing. You know, Shen's going to have to provide that, especially if he's on a wing position. He's going to have to be a guy that kind of gets into the... um, gets underneath the skin of those defensemen, especially the goaltender. Jordan Cairo has the capability of doing that. Cairo has drawn a lot of penalties this season with his speed, so hopefully he can do that because that's another thing that David Perron did really well is draw penalties, but you don't have a player that can do that. You don't have a David Perron, which is why he is so important for this roster. If it were me, and I'm not Craig Berube, I've never won a Stanley Cup, 
I would give Clem Costin a serious look oh, I, at a top nine situation because he plays like a David Perron. Now he's not as as gifted offensively as David Perron, but Clem Costin's a guy who who is, are you taking out of the top four the or top nine? Well, that's the thing. I don't know. I mean, maybe Tyler Bozak and shift him down, but then you got a defensive liability, which I think would be an issue. Yeah. So that's going to be the problem. And even if he's in on the fourth line, which I don't see happening because really? I think they're going to start with Sanford, Blay, and Clifford, mostly because of Sanford's. Right now, the way I look at this is the playoffs are going to begin with the playoff experience. Do you need experience. Clifford in this series oh, against yeah. the Avalanche? I think you do. Against the Avalanche. I think, you I do think be- against Vegas you would. Do you, do you need him in this series? Though? I think you do because, you, one, you got a guy who's who's played in Stanley Cup Finals, so he, he's that voice on the bench that I think is important. And, two, if you're going fourth line against fourth line, the way that you're going to beat Colorado, and I was talking with uh, the radio play-by-play man about this on, on Friday for my playoff preview show, and before we even recorded, I asked him. I said, what do you think? Like, is this, this that, that heavily favorite? He goes, man, between you and I, I'm nervous. Because you're playing a team that this is the exact same way that the Blues beat the San Jose Sharks. Sure. The Sharks are a fast team. They're a skilled team. Now, they don't have the same talent level that the, the, the Avalanche do right now. Although they were incredibly talented they at the They definitely time. were. I mean, you got Thornton and you had Kane. I mean, you had a lot of really good players on that roster. But the problem is you got underneath San Jose's skin by just finishing the check. So I think Kyle Clifford's important. But see, I think Costin might be more physical than That's Kyle Clifford is. That's why I had him over in a Zach Sanford. But okay, the problem but centering that fourth line, Bozak or Barbashev. Okay, you have the depth with Centerman right now. I'm not concerned about that. The problem is, and what I think is going to happen in Craig Berube's eyes, is he's going with Stanley Cup experience in the first game. And if things don't look well, that's when you're going to see adjustments. But if you want to beat this team, and I know we're going to get into this later, I got a Ferrari 05 later on in the show for you. If you want to beat this team, you got to make sure that they know that you're on the ice and you're finishing the checks the same way you did against the San Jose Sharks. And that's why I think Clifford's important. Not so much fourth line against fourth line, but fourth line against defensemen that are smaller stature defensemen. Interesting. See, I, I would go the other way on that. I I get what, he, what you're saying with the Stanley Cup experience, and, and there is some value to that, certainly. And the voice on the bench, that's also valuable. But if we're just looking purely on the ice, what I've seen from Costin, and it is a very small sample size, I think he's a more physical player than Kyle Clifford. Kyle Clifford is more imposing. Like, he's going to go out there, and if something needs to be handled, he's a guy that can go out there and handle it. Mm-hmm. But Costin consistently plays with a heavier, quote-unquote, style than Kyle Clifford does, in my opinion. He's he's leading the Blues and hits, if I'm not mistaken, in the two games that he's played so far. So uh, that would be the one thing that I would look at there. You did mention one other thing that I wanted to get to before we talk to Katie Wu on the other side here in just a minute. Nobody's giving, nationally, the Blues a chance in this series. Nobody. I was reading The Athletic yesterday. And man, some of their numbers, and I, I don't know how much stock you want to put in this. It's the NHL playoffs, like stuff happens. But they gave the Avalanche an 88% chance to win this series and a 25% chance to sweep. You know why he did that? Because that's the guy that you insulted his last name with. <laughs> that's fair. You mispronounced it. In his formula, this is the single most lopsided playoff series in the last decade. The single most lopsided playoff series at any point in a decade I don't view it that way. Now, that's not to suggest that I'm going to be picking the Blues to win this series, but I don't think this is a walk away for the Avs. I don't think this is something where the Blues are like lucky to be in the playoffs and the Avalanche are a walk away runner into the Stanley Cup. I don't view it that way, but 
am I missing something? What, what's going on here? What, what What is the disconnect? Well, look, they're going with this because they have two of the top scoring lines in the National Hockey League. Uh, that's going to be a big piece of it. Philip Grubauer has been a Vezina Trophy candidate this year. That's part of it. And look, Colorado. Did I read he has seven shutouts this year? Yeah, he's been good. My God. Colorado's the sexy team right now. But you know what happened to the sexy team in 1819, the Tampa Bay Lightning? They got bounced in four games by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Are you calling that? No, I'm not calling hey, that. Come I on that season went pretty well. I did. I think there was a Stanley <laughs> Cup at the end of it for somebody that I remember. But look, without David Perron, I do think that this favors Colorado a little bit more. But here's the thing people keep forgetting. like the, every Other than the first two games of the regular season, when the Blues beat them 4-1 to one and the Blues lost 8 to nothing, they've all been one-goal games, other than when the Blues have beaten Colorado. Like, they beat them 4-1, to one, they beat them 5-3. When to they three. lose, they lose close. When they win, they win big. That's exactly it. If you can find a way to keep this at even strength, and this is going to be a key, you keep it at 5-on-5, five five, you outscored them 15-13. to 13. And O'Reilly and Pareko and Scandella, those guys are matched up against that top line. It comes down to depth. And any day of the week, I would put Blues depth against Colorado's depth. Man, I just wish they were healthy. It, it was the one thing that, that sucks. W- remember, like two months ago, we were saying, hey, it's possible the Blues actually are going to be healthy at the right time. And that could be something that helps them going into the playoffs. It just never happened. Yeah. They, ju- they just healthy. Vladdy's still dealing with stuff, the nagging injuries. Vince Dunn, I, I think he's going to play. I guess we'll I don't find know if out. he's getting because he didn't skate yesterday. He skated Saturday and then didn't skate yesterday, so that's not a good sign. And now you've got this Perron situation. It just sucks because if they were at full strength, I would probably be picking them. Like I, I would give yeah. them a really good chance to win this series. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll get Alex's five reasons why the Blues will win this series coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She was in San Diego for Cardinals versus Padres. She'll join us next to break things down on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Athletic Insider Report. Brought to you by The Athletic, where you can find smart, in-depth St. Louis sports coverage for the diehard fan. No ads, no pop-ups, just quality journalism from an all-star team of writers. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line for our weekly visit with Katie Wu. She is the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She was in San Diego all weekend for Cardinals versus Padres. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How's the weather out in San Diego right now? It's so funny, guys, because I'm actually under an overhang right now in flip-flops, and it's raining. So I still, apparently, no matter where I go, cannot dress accordingly for the weather. <laughs> well, you might be able to keep the flip-flops, but uh, make sure you bring an umbrella once you're back in St. Louis, Katie, because uh, it's not going to stop for the next five days. Yeah, it's just going to continue oh. doing that for the rest of you're the week, You're coming basically. into a monsoon, basically. <laughs> so... Will it actually rain? Because half the time it tells me it's going to rain and then it doesn't. I don't know. You know, I, I never know what to do. I just show up and, and hope that I'm okay. Welcome to St. Louis. Just make sure you keep swim trunks, an umbrella, and a parka in your car at all times. And you're good to go, Katie. Yeah, you're pretty much set up okay, at that I point. Can do that. <laughs> so Perfect. Katie Wu's joining us coming off of what was a rough weekend for the Cardinals. Let's be honest. Uh, it was ugly baseball. It was not fun baseball. I hope you were able to do some fun stuff out in San Diego otherwise because the games were... We're not pretty, Katie. This was, you told us last week, an opportunity for the Cardinals to have a statement weekend. They had two nationally televised games, and the walks just became an issue basically from start to finish. What was your biggest takeaway from this series? Oh, well, they made a statement, all right. And, and the statement is what we've kind of known all along. It's the starting pitching is, is really the factor. It's the determining factor in 
their success. And I mean, that's not a, exactly a rocket scientist statement, of course, but when you have all three starting pitchers failing to, to pitch more than four innings, you have a, a pitching staff that walks 26 batters. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to win many games. I actually think it's remarkable that the Cardinals were even close in two of those games where it was, you know, they had an opportunity to still win. Um, Look, I think when we when we break it down, you know, Oviedo's it, it's it has to be hard going up and down from each different level and spot starting and, and finding a routine there. Wainwright, that's like he said, an outlier. He's been pitching fantastic lately, so that was kind of unfortunate for the timing. And Kim, you know, it, it seems to be a pattern where he breezes through the first three innings and those middle innings, the fourth and the fifth, something is just off. And you know, if he need if he wants to to be successful, he ultimately needs to figure out how to go longer in games. Otherwise, the Cardinals are in a little bit of a trouble there with their rotation. Katie, why do you feel like the pitchers are so hesitant on the mound? And BK and I were talking about this earlier. I mean, they have one of the best defenses behind them, whether it's the infield with Arenado and Goldschmidt and Tommy Edmond, or you're talking about an outfield with Bader and Carlson and O'Neill. You think that these guys would be, would be fine with just peppering the the, um, the, the, zone. the zone? Yeah, just rather than trying to, to paint the outside corners. Yeah, I thought that was that was a little concerning. You know, there was too many non-competitive pitches, and I think anyone on the pitching staff will tell you that. And I thought Adam Wainwright broke it down really well when we post game. He was talking about how the walks seem to be a reoccurring narrative, and he broke it down for all you golfers out there. He said it's like when you're golfing and there's water on your right, and you think, "Okay, you can't go in the water. Don't go in the water." And what do you do? Go you in go the in the water every time. Right, every time. Oh, I know that Damn. feeling. But <laughs> when you're when you're pitching and your 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 uh, mentality is don't walk batters, don't walk batters, you're going to walk batters. So maybe there's a needs to be a shift in the mindset there. Um, it, it it is at this point a very concerning narrative that the entire pitching staff has developed. So I don't know. We don't know about Miles coming back yet for sure, but he certainly looked good in his last what could be his last rehab start yesterday. He also homered, um, so that's pretty encouraging all around. Um, and Miles, you know, has a 1.8 career. Walk, uh, walk a nine inning ratio, so that would certainly help. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a, a concerning narrative, and you know, with Gant, who credit when credit is due, even though there is a lot of traffic on the bases that he gets himself into, he gets himself out. But the narrative surrounding Gant in particular has been too many walks. So it, that I think will be with Gant pitching. Really interesting to see if the narrative changes or if they're going to have to reevaluate. Katie, how much of this is just going to be fixed by playing against the Pirates and the Cubs over the <laughs> next week as well? Like, is that also something that factors into this of, hey, you're, you're getting away from San Diego. And I know that wasn't their lineup at 100 percent, but they still have some really, really talented players in that lineup. And now you're going against Pittsburgh and Chicago, who's been up and down this season offensively. Yeah, you know, I think it's if you're looking for positivity, that's the way to look at it. But it's still a, a big league ball, a big league ball club, both of them. And you know, as the Cardinals know, just like just as much as anybody else, you can't take anyone for granted. So I'm, I'm sure they'll go into Tuesday and Wednesday's game like they went into over the weekend with their same kind of game plan and their same kind of attack. Um, but you know, it was a really disappointing series, I think, for for a lot of reasons. But they still finished the quarter mark in first place of NL Central, 23 and 18. They look like a playoff team. Um, just unfortunate that this series, which had so much hype, and I think there was maybe an expectation surround, not from the team necessarily, but just an expectation in, from, from fans that they were going to roll over and sweep these, these Padres who were severely depleted. 
So and Ka- that was so far from the case. Sorry, Katie. So just to get away from the pitching side of it and on the offensive side, especially after this series, but overall in the first quarter of the of the season for the Cardinals, a healthy surprise has been Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader's offense. And, I mean, they showed it once again in that San Diego Padres series. These guys have just kind of changed the dynamic of this batting order for the Cardinals. Absolutely. And, you know, we, I talked to Mike Schell yesterday during pregame, and I think the biggest thing for both of them, I mean, we've seen Tyler's power surge lately, and he's stressed. He's not going out there trying to hit home runs. He's just trying to hit the ball hard. And when you're as strong as Tyler is, that's usually a really good result. I mean, he came, what, a couple feet from having another home run yesterday? And then we see Harrison, where three of his four home runs this year have come on breaking balls. He homered over the weekend off a right-hander's breaking ball, which Mike Schultz said was the biggest thing they emphasized over the offseason, was how to get better in that regard. So if you can see more consistency, again, their defense makes up for for anything most of the time. They are two tremendous defenders in the outfield, and Carlson is great too. But if O'Neill and Bader can hit league average and have some pop every now and then, that's a really, really lethal offense. And the guy that we have to talk about as well, you know, I've, I've got to bring some positivity to the discussion. Nolan Arenado <laughs> was awesome over the weekend. Three home runs, had a home run all three games. His batting average now is up to a clean 300. Uh, Katie, you came in, and I remember talking to you when you first got the job. You're like, hey, one of the things that I'm most interested in, of course, is what does Nolan Arenado look like in a Cardinals uniform? Well, we're a quarter of the way through the season now. What's been your early impressions on Nolan Arenado in a Cardinals uniform? I think it is just, again, a seamless fit. And, you know, I think in April and early May, he said it, his his teammates said it, Matt Carpenter said it yesterday, where they felt like Nolan hadn't really hit his stride yet or truly locked in in the way that he can. Uh, But if this weekend was any indication, maybe he's getting there. I mean, he's seen the ball really well. He's such a catalyst. He means so much to this team. I think he's crucial in, in their success. And I think there's There's no better place that he'd rather be than St. Louis. I think he's made that clear, and he's also made it quite clear that he can hit outside of Coors Field. So if we could retire that argument, that would be great. (laughs) Amen to that. Katie, what do you think the uh, future plan is with Paul DeYoung? I mean, especially it doesn't seem like he's headed to the injured list, and it might be just, oh, he is on the injured list, my mistake. Is this going to be a perfect opportunity for him to just reset? I would think so. You know, we haven't gotten a chance to talk to Paul too much, but – you know, he's, I, I don't want to, it's still relatively like early to, to write anyone off there. So I think that a, a reset would do him some good. I mean, he plays a very solid shortstop. He's really respected in the clubhouse. He's veteran presence there. Like, they just really respect him. And it is concerning, I think, to see the lack of production because he's kind of hitting lower for average. That hasn't really been a narrative. Um, it's kind of been, like, inconsistent, but he's been able to get on base. So for him to not be able to do that, as frequently this year has been a little bit concerning. So I think, it, you know, you never want to see guys get hurt in any way, uh, no way advocating for that. But, you know, it might be a, a time to, to sit back. I mean, look what Harrison did. He went into the uh, into his rehab assignment, even though he did have to miss some time, and he comes back and he looks like a different ball player. So maybe that could be the same thing that happens to Paul. Hopefully he can come back healthy and relatively soon, though. We're talking with Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. Check out her work over there. Make sure you subscribe because it's it's excellent work. You get Katie Wu's writing on the Cardinals. You get JR's writing on the Blues and everything else you could possibly want. NHL, MLB, it's all over there at The Athletic. You can also give Katie a follow on Twitter at Katie J. Wu, W-O-O. Katie, last week you talked with us about Albert Pujols and you didn't think there was a great fit here in St. Louis, and that's been proven correct. Uh, The Cardinals reportedly did not have a ton of interest in bringing him in. They did not see the fit for him. 
and he has now signed with the L.A. Dodgers. What do you make of his decision to go to stay in L.A. and the Cardinals seeming decision to not approach Albert Pujols about returning to St. Louis? You know, I just I don't know if they're and, you know, I know this doesn't really make sense when you look at the Dodgers lineup, but I don't think that they're the Cardinals felt that there was a a place for him on their roster at the time. And I know that is a very hot take with Cardinals fans. I understand the, the nostalgia factor there, but, you know, he he I don't know anything really about what, what went on his decision to go to the Dodgers. Um, I just know from a Cardinals perspective, it would have been a really hard place to make it work. Uh, I think they want to see this young talent. They want to see what they have depth-wise on their current roster. And I'm sure that they'll make moves near the trade deadline. But, you know, maybe if there was a universal DH this year, it would have been an easier decision. But since there wasn't, it was pretty much talked about, but nothing really ever came to fruition. So it will be interesting in a couple weeks, the end of the month, will the Cardinals go to L.A.? Um, so they'll get to you know, face off against Albert. I'm sure Yachty is excited about that. And then in September, huge series with the Dodgers in town for, I believe, four games. Uh, and those are two teams that are looking like clear playoff contenders. And he'll get to come back to the stadium, too. So, you know, it, it could be worse. At least Cardinals fans will get to salute him one more time. Katie, one more question for you. And I'm asking this because I know you're an incredible journalist with The Athletic covering the Cardinals. Has it been confirmed that Tommy Edmond truly does prefer Backstreet Boys over NSYNC? <laughs> <laughs> I will have to confirm, but if there's one thing I know about the uh, Padres scoreboard fact, fun fact guy, it's that he is usually absolutely correct. So I'll get back to you guys on that. I appreciate that. Next Monday, we'll find out. I mean, at least he's right in that. (laughs) (laughs) Katie, we appreciate the time as always. Have a safe trip back here to St. Louis. And like we said, be sure to pack like literally anything for any possible version of the weather. It It could change at any time. I will keep that in mind. I'm going to have to at this point. You're the best. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. Be sure to check out her work over at The Athletic. Subscribe over there and give her a follow on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if this team is able to get back to 100% against the Pirates. Like Looking like the team that we saw against the Brewers. Because the Pirates are a team you should take advantage of. John Gantz on the mound. Let's see if the high wire act works once again. And Get out of here with that. <laughs> then you've got Jack Flaherty, who should be in contention for a no hitter in that game. That that should be because the Pirates aren't a real baseball team. They're not. They're fake. They, that That's team true. does not count. And if he throws a no hitter, I will count it because it's a Cardinal. That's hey, at least they haven't lost 11 in a row. Who did that? The Royals. Yeah. Got did, him. Did you got see, him? Did you see what happened with Hunter Dozier did and see? Jose Abreu over the weekend? Hunter Dozier forgot that he needed to look in front of him as to where he was running. Royals just being Royals. They collided at full speed. It was not good. It was not good. What's Uh, better is when Mike Matheny has to go into his postgame press conferences and complain about the... uh... The review? Yeah. The review system stinks. He's right about that. It's terrible. He was out. Uh, Sure. No, no, no. Whether he was right or wrong about the specific call, the Major League Baseball's review system is terrible. It's got to get fixed. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Hey, coming up at 115 today, we're going to give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to Wednesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Pirates. We're giving you four tickets to Cards Pirates. Yeah, four of them. Not for you, Tanner. Not two, not three, but four of them. All you have to do, stay tuned throughout the show today. We're going to give you a code word, one an hour and so right now i'm going to give you the 11 o'clock code word. listen Here up. it is listen up we are giving you the code word arnado 
A-R-E-N-A-D-O. Write that down somewhere. 115. You'll text in the three code words that we've given out over the course of the show, and we'll give you a call. You'll have a chance to play three strikes. If you get three questions correct before you get three strikes, you will get the four-pack of tickets to Wednesday night's Budweiser Bash. So the code word for the 11 o'clock hour is Arenado. A-R-E-N-A-D-O. Be sure to keep that handy somewhere. Coming up at 115, you're going to need that. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service tax line. How about this? I didn't think we would get one of these today from the 217. Guys, I'm so happy to hear BK back on the air. I missed him on Thursday and Friday. Troller text. Wow. That's got to be troll, right? No, because they followed it up by saying I was sick of listening to hockey talk for three straight hours. Uh, Correction, we did not talk hockey for three straight hours. There was plenty of baseball. We had Buster only on the show. Yeah, and I've got a bone to pick with you guys on that. And JP Morosi. And that. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot you we had got, Morosi. We have been efforting. We literally <laughs> called out J.P. Morosi on this show. It worked. Two yeah, weeks ago. We've I been efforting that guy for I didn't a get month. Morosi on. Curbs got Morosi on, so oh, I, can't, I can't take credit for that. Hey, He's got a relationship credit with past him. credit the blank. I, I got only on. Yeah, I'm not thrilled about that. I got only that. on. No, what you do you didn't. mean? I did. No, Buster we didn't. Buster only is like one of my favorite guests. I yeah. love talking to he Buster He actually said on the air, too. He's like, I don't like that BK. So anytime. Totally fair. I get that. But it definitely happened. He's one of the guys that I enjoy talking to the most. And you guys were like, hey, BK's out. Let's get Buster only on. Okay, cool. I appreciate it, guys. And, Thank you. And what do you mean? Talk, hockey talk. It's playoffs, baby. It's postseason play. Playoffs. It's hockey time. All right. Speaking of which, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We do have a hockey question for you, Alex. From the 618, guys, when is the earliest that we could get David Perron back? What about if this series goes six or seven? Do you think there would be an opportunity for him to return to the lineup before the end? So if I'm not mistaken, if it is a positive, then it's seven to ten days of quarantine. And then he would have to do three negative tests or three three negative tests before he can come back. Or maybe it's just the seven to ten days. Regardless, if it's seven to ten days, and I would err on the side of ten days if that's true, 24th would be seven. So you're looking at the 27th, so next Thursday, which would be game five. He could come back. So definitely a possibility, but got to hope that the team can keep their head above water before then. Yeah. But uh, look, if you're going to take any solace in the fact of no David Perron in this game, and if possible, the series we will find out more when they skate at one o'clock. It's the fact that the blue system is not relied upon one person. It's relied upon a system and you put another player in there. Hopefully that system can work without David Perron. I think the tough, the, the frustrating part about all of this is just it, the timing stinks, yeah. man. And you, you hope that David Perron's doing well right now. That's obviously the most important part of it. But, God, for, for this guy to test positive and for the Blues in general, they they did a really great job. Maybe they got lucky. Whatever, whatever the reason is, they had no positive tests all year long until, what, a week ago, week and a half ago now? And now they've had three of them in that stretch. So it just, it stinks for them. Um, it stinks for David Perron, and it's awful timing for him. Yeah. So... 
hopefully everything is able to come back. But my my guess would be, my assumption would be, if you're a Blues fan, just assume that you're not going to have David Perron for this series. Mm-hmm. And then if he comes back early, great. But for the here and now, I, I would just operate under the assumption that he's probably going to miss um, the, at least the vast majority of this series at a minimum. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. Guys, do you feel like because Albert Pujols has left the Angels and has signed with another team, it is more likely now than it was previously that he will wear a Cardinals hat when he is inducted into the Hall of Fame? I would say the answer to that is yes. I think if he had stayed the remainder of his career in L.A. and the personal services contract started immediately thereafter and there wasn't a bad breakup at the end, I think it would have been harder for him. I think he maybe goes in neutral. Um, But because of the way that things ended there and now him going to play for yet another team, I would not be surprised at all if he ends up wearing a Cardinals hat. I thought in the contract was he had to have the Angels hat. Or was that just a report from people? After hearing Albert talk on the fast lane, I think the contract is basically, hey, here's an extra $10 million that we didn't want to spend over the course of the 10 years. Yeah. And you do what you want when you want with our club. Yeah. I think that's more or less what it's going to be. Those don't happen for us, Tanner. You got to be, you got to be, you got to have a nickname La Machine before you can do that. 65780 is the air comfort service X line. Uh, Last one here from the 314. Guys, what do you do with Vladimir Tarasenko? Where do you put him now that he's healthy? Where would Alex here? It seems like the answer to this question for the Blues is they're going to play him on a line with Barbashev and Bozak. It seems to be where this is headed. Yeah. Where would you, if you could, put him anywhere and he would accept the role, where would you want Vladdy to play? If they were healthy, I'd want him to be on the fourth line because I think you can have a very effective fourth line and you need depth of scoring. Um, but since they're not healthy, I think he's in the right spot. If I were to give I would give a shot of him with O'Reilly. Just because O'Reilly's such a great playmaker, and I would have Schwartz on the left wing with O'Reilly and Tarasenko, Schwartz kind of fills that void of a puck hound like David Perron. I'd like to see what that matchup can do. But honestly, as the way it sits, because Shen's turning into a right winger and we've seen the effectiveness of Kairu, Hoffman, and Thomas, I kind of like the idea of Barbashev with Tarasenko. What I would do differently, though... I think I would put Costin on that wing and I'd move Bozak down to the fourth line just because I'd like to see what a, a another power forward can do on that line. But you're taking a chance of defensive liability, which is what it makes sense to have Bozak there. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 30 minutes or so. Alex is going to give you the five reasons why the blues will beat the avalanche in the first round of the playoffs. That's coming up at about 1230 coming up next though. Tanner has the three deadline moves the Blues need or the Cardinals need to make. And while it's open, I think oh, the Cardinals Jesus. made a mistake by not bringing back Albert Poole. So we'll explain it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We've certainly had some internal conversations about it. Of course, how could you not, right? Um, but, you know, I think right now we, we really like where we are with the team. I'd, I'd hate to um, take at-bats away from anybody right now. I, I think we've still got people that we want to see what they're all about, you know, younger players, et cetera. So, you know, I, I think right now it's, it's, it's something that we haven't really entertained. You know, I think that if this was at the end of the season, it, it might have been a different conversation. And you never say never, but... But right now we kind of 
we, we like where we are. That was Bill DeWitt III last week on with Carriker and Smallman. It was the first public comments that I had seen from the team anywhere on the possibility of signing Albert Pujols. Well, since then, that's come to fruition. The Cardinals reportedly were not interested in bringing in Albert Pujols. Mark Feinsand of MLB Network tweeted over the weekend that he had multiple teams express interest in his services before he decided to sign with the Dodgers. The Cardinals, though, were not among those teams that expressed any interest in signing Albert Pujols. I got to be honest with you, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I was surprised by that. I didn't know for sure that the Cardinals would sign Albert Pujols, but I thought if he was willing to accept a bench role, and that's clearly what he's doing by going and signing with the Dodgers. Maybe he starts a couple of games here early while they've got some injuries that they're they're dealing with, but let's not get this mistaken. When the Dodgers are back to full strength, Albert Pujols is going to have the same role with them that he would have had with the Cardinals. I'm very surprised to see that the Cardinals decided Lane Thomas, John Nagowski, those are better options for our big league roster as bench bats right now than Albert Pujols is. I I did not expect that to be the case. Yeah, Tanner, you were the one that sat here and said, oh, roster spots are so valuable. You you would rather see Max Moroff hit a pop fly to center field than Albert Pujols come up with a chance to tie the game. To be fair, Moroff would not be on my roster when healthy. But that's the problem, though. Like, you lose a player, and that's your depth right now. Until Nolan Gorman's ready. Should be Ron Dome. Don't even get me started. (laughs) He's not on the 40-man roster. He's not good enough to be on the 40-man roster. I think it's it's ridiculous that Albert Pujols wasn't even a consideration. And where did the reports go of, oh, well, there is seeming to be interest coming for Albert Pujols. And they're talking about a, a bench role. And then they just went away, and he signs with the Dodgers. Well, those reports were then corrected. John Heyman was one that had it. He said he's hearing that the Cardinals might have some interest, or there's at least been conversations about the possibility of bringing Pujols in. And then he corrected it and said, actually, they talked about it. It does not appear that there's interest in actually reaching out and acting on that interest. So it it seems pretty clear they they just they didn't view him as a fit here. I I get that he's a he's a a bench bat. And he's a guy you're going to have to pinch run for, and it takes away a roster spot for somebody who could be more valuable. But after watching that bench over the weekend, I don't know who's more valuable than Albert Pujols right now because none of those guys are from what I saw. I mean, Edmundo Sosa started one game in Paul DeYoung's absence and then was a bench player the rest of the series. And again, let's be very clear as to what the roster spot would be that he would be taking. It is not Edmundo Sosa. It is not Max Moroff. It is not Paul DeYoung. It is not Matt Carpenter. All of those guys would still be on the roster if the Cardinals signed Albert. He would be taking the spot of either John Nagowski when healthy or right now the spot that is uh, inherited by Lane Thomas. Those are the two guys that are that right-handed bat coming off of the bench that he would be taking, and I would take Albert over either of those two guys. And I I think he's better than them. I think he gives you a little bit more pop coming off of the bench against left-handed pitching in particular. And, I mean, you look at the way that, for example, Lane Thomas has been utilized. So since his return up to the big leagues on May 8th, May 8th, it has now been... 10 days, basically, of him being up in the big leagues. He has a total of two at-bats. Two. Two for two? He is 0 for 2, and he has yet to reach base in those two at-bats. But he hasn't struck out? He has not. There we go. Better than Carpenter. 
I mean, it's just like what, pitch. what, what are true. we doing here? What are we doing here Wait, with Lane Thomas or John Nagowski? And you guys know I love John Nagowski. It's just it's hard for me to believe that's a better option than Albert. But that's the decision that they made and more power to him. Uh, we had a text earlier. Hey, I'm done talking about Pujols. He decided to go elsewhere. So are we. we. We will not be talking about this other than if Albert goes on a tear, you know it's going to be a story because the Cardinals clearly made a decision here. This was their call, not Albert's, I think. They did not want to bring in Albert because there were a lot of reports that Albert was interested in coming back to St. Louis if the role was right. And this is the same role with the Dodgers that he'd have here. Here's to hoping he doesn't hit any home runs because otherwise Tanner and I are never going to hear the end of it with our bet with Kerber. All right. So that could have been a help to the bench. Albert Pujols could have. They decided not to do that. Over the weekend, there were some clear weaknesses that were exposed by the Cardinals. We are now officially a quarter of the way through the season. So I like kind of at these, these important marks of the season, checking in on where the Cardinals are and Tanner's always looking for ways for the Cardinals to upgrade the roster, right, Alex? So I gave Tanner a task last night. Give me your three things that you think the Cardinals need at the deadline. Hang on. When he tries to upgrade guys, he wants to pick players off in the offseason that are injured or terrible, like in uh, Odorizzi. Yeah, but we hold him accountable for that. We'll do the same thing with these. So, Tanner, what are the three deadline needs, the top three deadline needs for the Cardinals as of today, in your opinion? All right. Well, number three for me is a starter. I still think they need another starting pitcher. I think they need an elite number two who could be considered a one on some team. So of course the names that I would put out there as potential candidates would be Max Scherzer, maybe a Danny Duffy from Kansas city. He's pitching really well, both on one year rental deals. Uh, If you were just looking for depth, uh, Jose Urena, uh, Matt Harvey of Baltimore, Michael Pineda, if he's healthy in Minnesota, he's pitching really well. Go get the dark night. Go get him. Uh, Number two for me, this one, two and one were really close for me. Number two, I decided was a bat off the bench. I would like to see a left-handed bat off the bench because I don't think Carpenter is going to be, he shouldn't be your go-to left-handed bat off the bench. Uh, The bench, 143 average, 295 on base, OPS of 569 so far this season. So Sounds like something Pools could have been. 569 OPS by their bench bats so far this year? Yeah, not great. Not great. great, So a couple guys that I looked at, I still look at an outfielder possibly. So an interesting name, and we talked about him in the offseason, Andrew Benintendi. I don't know if they would do that because he's, he's got multiple years of he's control. Got one more happening. year of control. So that one feels kind of ruled out. Corey Dickerson would be an interesting one. Nine and a half million, 31 years old, having a really good season down in Miami. Uh, Brad Miller, our guy Millsy. Millsy! No, we already did the eulogy. We can't bring him back. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. he was you, my you can't favorite. go back on a eulogy. When you give it, it's done. You never know. Hey, Pool is <laughs> coming back for being an angel, so we can, we can do this Whoa. again. What? Oh, sorry. Uh, but Brad Miller, to me, seems to make the most sense. Uh, can, I, can I add one more name for the bet for the bat bench? The bench bat. Same thing. What about Colin Moran from Pittsburgh? Now, I know he's an everyday I, player, but he's played the outfield before, and I love the fact that that dude makes contact. See, I looked at a couple guys from Pittsburgh, but I just didn't know if they would trade within yeah, the division. Won't. So that's why I didn't. And that leads Good me pick, to Alex. That <laughs> that leads me to my number one, and that's that's the bullpen. I think they need a reliever, and I think they would double up on relievers. You look at the Cardinals bullpen, the walk rate we've talked about. 14 or 15 percent which is also the highest percentage in the divisional era uh they're 20th in era at 4.05 a couple names that i find interesting for the bullpen out of colorado michael givens three era 17 strikeouts one year 4.05 million dollar contract uh i i know you're gonna think when i say this name no way he's too old ian kennedy 
in no Texas. Way he's too old. He he's leading the AL in saves coming into today. And what he reminds me of would be like acquiring Octavia Dotel from yeah. that 2011 team. Older veteran, kind of on the back end of his career, but pitching really well out of the pen. And then another name that I look at if Washington's still out of it, Daniel Hudson, six million. He's making this year in Washington, eleven in the third, one five nine ERA. Hitters hitting at one oh five against him. Those are three guys that I would consider looking at because I think you have to strengthen the bullpen. We talked about the bullpen depth not there. Those three guys we trust that are in the circle. The others not pitching well. I think you look at this, and I think you kind of double up on that and look for two of those guys. Alex, where are you at on this? So he's got number one. Number one need for the Cardinals at the deadline is the bullpen. Number two is a bat off of the bench, and number three would be another starting pitcher. How would you rank those? One, I, two, I three. Think he's, I think he's locked on with it. I mean, that's how I would rank them. And as much as I want Max Scherzer on this team, if Miles Michaelis comes back and pitches the way he pitched in the last couple of games in Memphis, I think he's not going to be Max Scherzer, but you're getting a, a sturdy reliable pitcher for your rotation so that would be third for me I do think a bench bat is going to be necessary because you have legitimately no weapons you have nothing right now Um, I would like to see the Cardinals put Lane Thomas back down in Memphis so that he can get some reps so hopefully he could be an option for you but yeah number one has to be a bullpen pitcher and especially with the uncertainty of Jordan Hicks I think you need a righty and I think you need a lefty the other one that I consider this was kind of my uh I don't know what you'd call it. My fourth one, if I had a fourth option, was depth up the middle, backup shortstop or backup second baseman. Because you mentioned we look at the bench right now and you go, Moroff's out there, Rondone's in the minors, uh, Matt Carpenter's a backup second baseman. Someone that would be interesting would be Freddie Galvis of Baltimore. 31, he's on $1.5 million contract, 261 average. If you had to plug him into, and I'm not saying he's going to replace Paul DeYoung, but if Paul DeYoung continues to struggle, you get into that postseason stretch, and you need someone to play shortstop, Galvis would be an interesting candidate, and he just would be a good bat off the bench, in my opinion. So, this is interesting. Um, I actually, so, if, if as we're moving forward here, the starting pitching is going to be kind of what we thought it would be going into the year. Jack Flaherty, KK, Wayno. you're going to get Miles Michaelis back into the rotation. I think Carlos is going to be that fifth starter. I think that the deadline need for this team will be entirely dependent on which Carlos we see moving forward. Because if we see good Carlos, I think the number one need is going to be a bullpen arm. I'm with you, Tanner. If we do not see that guy, if he ends up, this was more of what we're going to see moving forward when he had that start with the ankle issue, whatever it is. um, I think you might see a rotation piece, another starter being at number one on that list. I think it's entirely dependent on what we get from him because I feel really comfortable in the other four options in the rotation. If Miles Michaelis is actually healthy this time around, It'd be really nice to have, as you said, a, a strong number two. And it'd have to be one of the names that you're mentioning. It's not just going out there and getting an innings eater. I'm not worried about that. It's going out there and getting a guy that can be in your rotation when you have a five-game series in the postseason. One guy that can start game three, game two, something like that, that would be the type of player that I would be interested in acquiring. And honestly, I'm almost looking at Danny Duffy more than I am Max Scherzer right now. <sighs> yeah, but- and, and the reason for that is because he's making a little less at $15 million, And as we know with the Dodgers, they're struggling against left-handed pitching. So if I'm going to compare myself to go out, try and build, not necessarily... Uh, to be better than the Dodgers or Padres because that's a tough task, but to kind of feel like I can match up against them well. We mentioned a lot with the pool signing. The Dodgers are struggling against left-handed pitching. 
Danny Duffy's been really good right now. To me, he would be ahead of me, for, ahead of Max Scherzer if there was a top starting pitching candidate. You could for pull me. off a double deal though with Washington, and you could get a bullpen pitcher and Hudson and Max Scherzer as your starter, and you could make a. I mean, that's a big deal to make in, in upgrade you a lot. two areas on it though. Would it, it though if you if they feel like you can't get Scherzer back and Daniel Hudson's a free agent? I mean, you're gonna yeah, give you a lot, but it's not gonna be that much. Uh, other teams are gonna be interested in both of those players too, so it, it's going to cost you a lot. I don't know what it would be exactly, but it's going to cost you a lot if you're going to be willing to go out and get one of those guys, especially if you're getting both of them. Like Johan Oviedo, gone. Uh, Another starting pitcher down in the minors, high upside guy that's probably down in the lower levels, gone. And you might end up having to give up uh, a bench or a, uh, a prospect on the bat side of things as well. So it's going to take you a lot to be able to get those guys. And I put Michael Givens on that list from Colorado. Let's be honest. They're probably not picking yeah, up the not. phone from Mo. It's no. the same thing trying to make a deal with the Sabres. It's not happening, boys. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up next, we will give you our second code word of the day. We're going to play a game of three strikes coming up at 115. We'll give you our second code word coming up in the next segment. And we're going to play a game of in or out coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Eric Comfort Service text line for in or out. All right, guys, a big weekend once again for Harrison Bader. He's been really good since coming back from his injury this season. Don't tell me you're going to read the numbers off that I saw. Oh, are you saying that how he's been better than Mike Trout? Yeah. Since he's returned? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. We don't have to uh, read those off. I'll just let you know. He, okay. Objectively, there is no doubt about it. The numbers are better for Harrison Bader than Mike Trout in the same time span since Harrison Bader's returned. Sorry, I'm done chewing now, Tanner. Someone okay. turn his mic off. Damn, Bader better than Mike Trout. So Harrison Bader so far since his return in 16 games has four home runs. That is over the course of the season. A projected 16 home runs on the season. In or out, Harrison Bader will finish this year with at least 15 home runs for the Cardinals. At least 15 home runs this year for Harrison Bader. In or out, Alex? I'm going to say in. This guy looks like he's just going for contact right now, and he has the power capability when he makes good contact. We've seen it. Harrison Bader looks like a different man on that field, and uh, I will eat crow on that because I thought that this man was done for. Uh, the 15 home run seems like a real possibility, so I'll, I'll be in on this one. I'm with you. I'm in. I, he looks comfortable at the plate. He's hitting the breaking ball. Uh, I think everything is slugging in his average right now against the breaking ball are career highs, but again, it's early small sample size, but he's got good plate discipline. I think he's only got eight strikeouts on the year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's not striking out a lot. He looks comfortable at the plate. So, yeah, I'll say it because I think he's got the chance to be 15 to 20 home run power. When when he's right and at the ceiling, I think that's his potential. So I'm going to say in. I'm in as well. You guys know if, if you're in on something that Harrison Bader is going to do that is in a positive direction, you know I'm about to be in on that. And I joined the Bader fan club. The Bader bandwagon? Or yeah, whatever it's called. Are you actually in? Yeah, I'm in. Okay. I joined last you- week. This thing gets wobbly sometimes. Oh, just so you know, oh, well. wheels will fall off. Yes, there will. There's well, going to be. I'll abandon ship like I did with the uh, let carp cook movement. Yeah, I mean, you the, did abandon ship fast on that one. The bandwagon gets a little topsy turvy when you're on it. We're on. We're over here on Bader Island, and it. You hit a pothole on the carp cook movement, and you just jumped off board real quick. It gets a little rocky, but when it's going well, it looks like this right now, and boy, does it feel good. All right, in or out, guys. Speaking of Harrison Bader, in or out, it is time to move Harrison Bader up in the order 
he should be batting above the eighth spot in the order right now. In or out? I would say in if Paul DeYoung's not in the lineup because any of the options that's replacing him isn't any better and shouldn't be anywhere else. But Harrison Bader's been hitting in the eight spot well, and I like the idea of having him on base when it comes to the nine and then back to the leadoff. So, no, I wouldn't move him. I think Harrison Bader stays in the eight spot. Oh, that's tough. I, I'm going to say out for now. I, I like him in that eighth spot. I, the way he gets on base and the way he's, like I said, he looks comfortable at the plate and he's not going to get pitches to hit with the pitcher behind him. And then he just gets on base with a walk and then the pitcher bunts him over. And then you've got the speed of second base for the top of the order. So I'm going to say out. I really like Bader in that eighth spot. I'm with you guys on this one as well. I am also out on this. I love Harrison Bader batting eighth. I think it has forced him to be more selective with the pitches that he is going after. I think he has improved his batter's eye. I don't know how he did it. I don't, I would love to hear specifically what he worked on in the off season, but you can tell he's laying off the slider more than he ever has in his career. And maybe this goes away and it's not sustainable. Totally possible. We saw this early last year from Tyler O'Neill. but if he can continue this, even if it's like 70% of what we're watching right now, it completely changes who he is at the plate. It makes him so much better and so much more effective. So I'm out on this. I'm going to keep him down in that eight hole because I love him going up there, getting on base, the pitcher coming up next, hopefully laying down a good bunt, moving him over. And then you've got Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson coming up to the plate with an opportunity to bring him in. I feel good about that. So I'm going to keep Harrison Bader towards the bottom of the lineup. I want him scoring runs. I don't want him in a run producing role, if that makes sense. Yeah. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out guys in or out tomorrow will be John Gant's final start of the season for the Cardinals. I'm going to say in uh, just because Michaelis, I mean, he's not doing any more rehab starts. He looked awesome in that Memphis Redbirds game. I think he went six scoreless innings. More importantly, two for three with a home run. He's got two home runs on his rehab assignment. Almost as many as Matt. Let's hope he does it up on the major league level, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in on this because I think once he's back, health is going to provide. And I I expect Carlos Martinez to return as well. That's going to be the big thing if he's ready. But yeah, I'm in on this one. I think Gank goes to the bullpen. I think he becomes even more effective. I'm out on this one. I I think the Cardinals are going to keep him stretched out and he will become he will take over the role of Johan Oviedo. When they need that sixth starter, they will have him be that spot guy. And that, that's kind of how I think they're going to use him. I'm kind of with you, though, Alex. I would rather see him become more of like a one-inning, maybe two-inning kind of reliever. I don't think they're going to do that, so I'm going to say out. I would say if I had to put a number on it, maybe another five starts for John Gant. I'm out on this as well. Injuries happen, and somebody's... I wish this wasn't the case, but the likelihood is somebody in the Cardinals rotation is probably going to get hurt, have a 10-day IL stint similar to what we're watching right now with Carlos Martinez. As long as it's not a blister. And if and when that happens, John Gant's the first guy that's going to get that call to be able to go back into the rotation. So I'm out on this, I think. I don't know that I'd say five-plus starts, but he'll get a few starts between now and the end of the season for the Cardinals. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Last one for you guys. Got some numbers on Nolan Arenado for you. He's on pace this season to hit 50 doubles, 35 homers, more than 100 RBIs, fewer than 100 strikeouts on the season. The only Cardinal to ever do that was Albert Pujols. Did it twice in 2003-2004. In or out, Nolan Arenado will finish this season in the top five of the National League MVP voting. Well, you know I'm in. I already said it earlier. He is the MVP. I think he wins it. I don't see... 
Acuna Jr. and Freeman sustaining this because the Braves have had a roller coaster season. I definitely don't see Chris Bryant sustaining this. Um, and I forgot there's one more National League hitter who's above Nolan Arenado in multiple categories. But no, this is this is going to sustain because once you get closer to the playoffs, that man's going to become a machine out there. So yeah, I, I'm in on this. He'll be he'll win it. I'm in. I, I'm not going to. I hope he wins it. I don't know if he will yet. I because I still think Acuna and Freeman can keep up their pace. I think he finishes top five, and I'd even be willing to say he can finish top three in MVP voting. I think what's interesting, though, with Bryant is Bryant could end up in the American League at the trade deadline. That's what makes his his case a little yeah. iffy for me. So what he has been doing in the month of May, Nolan Arenado, is just absurd. So far this month, and it's 15 games in, he's batting 380 with five home runs, five doubles, and a triple. He has 13 RBI in 15 games this month so far. I'm in, guys. I mean, he's been outstanding so far this season, especially on the offensive side of things. It's it's honestly even better than I thought it was going to be. I thought Nolan Arenado was going to be great for the Cardinals. And this is even exceeding my wildest expectations for what he would be early in the season for the Cardinals. So I'm in. I think he's going to be able find a way to get into the top five of the National League MVP voting this year. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, 101 ESPN, and specifically BK and Ferrario, has a chance for you to win a four-pack of tickets to Wednesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Pirates. Alex, can you believe this? We're giving away four-pack of tickets, not I, one. I don't know why they're not giving it to us. Not two. Well, we got three. Oh, and this do? is four. Oh, The Budweiser Bash features an exclusive Ken Reads bobblehead with a portion of each ticket supporting the Ken Reads Foundation. Get all of the details for Wednesday's game in the Budweiser Bash now at cardinals.com backslash promotions. So how we're doing things on BK and Ferrario. We give you a code word once an hour. Earlier today, I'm going to go ahead. If you missed it, I'm going to give you a secret. It was Arenado. Arenado was the first code word of the day. We're just giving those away? Here's the second one for you guys. Bader. The first one, Arnado. The second one, Bader. Those are your first two code words of the day. Do not text them in now. You will text them in coming up at 1.15. We're going to play a trivia game because the morning show, afternoon show, they both got their trivia games. We will have one for you coming up at 1.15. Be listening then for your next code word and for your chance to win the four-pack of tickets to Wednesday night's Budweiser Bash. That code word's Bader than the first one. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got a Ferrario 5 on the Blues. Reasons they will beat the Avalanche next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So I asked Alex last night, okay, man, can you, can you believe how many national analysts are giving the blues no chance in this series? None. And blues versus avalanches tonight. Game one pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario begins at eight o'clock. You got puck drop coming up at nine. It's a late one, but we got it. We got playoffs. That's all that matters right now. Alex said, no, I can't believe it. In fact, I think the blues are going to beat the avalanche. I said, okay, Alex, give me five reasons why. He said, I will, but you got to wait till tomorrow. So let's get to a Ferrario five. Blues will beat the Avalanche, according to Alex Ferrario. Alex, you've got five reasons why that's going to happen. Hit the open, Tanner. 
Oh, we have an open for no, this No, there's one? no open. There's oh. no open. I wanted to make it big time, and it's not big time enough. All right, first one for me is Jordan Bennington. Big reason why they can win this series. This series is going to come down to goaltending, in my opinion. It's going to be stolen from and turned to because it's postseason time. And I talked with Brian Boucher of NBC Sports on Friday during my playoff preview show, and I asked him about Jordan Bennington going into the series. I loved his answer. Take a listen. This is a guy that has like this bite to his game that you never see in goaltenders ever. Like we haven't seen it since Ron Hextall or maybe Billy Smith. You know, this guy is unafraid to uh, break the mold and do what he wants to do. And I think. I, you know, that, that takes on the personality of his team as well. And he fi- followed it up by saying, I would not bet against Jordan Bennington. And I think that's important. So that's my first one on why the Blues can beat this Colorado team. My second one is the power play success. If you go back to 1819 when the Blues won the Cup, they did not have a good power play. Their power play was actually abysmal. People were hoping that they would negate the power play and just play five on five still. The power play has gone from bottom of the league at the beginning of the season, from March 1st until the end of the regular season. They're the best power play in the National Hockey League. And I don't know how many penalties are going to be called. If it's anything like the Panthers and Tampa Bay Lightning game the other night, we could see a lot of them. Or if it's anything like the Vegas-Minnesota game, you could see very little of them. If there's power plays, though, I think that's the Blues' opportunity to capitalize on this Colorado Avalanche team. So if the power play can be successful, that's my second one for the Blues. Third one is the the pairing of Pareko and Scandella. Because I think now that Pareko's healthy, and he truly has looked healthier in the last 10, 15 games of the season, I think he's going to be influential on the series along with Scandella. They were a shutdown pair when Scandella was acquired last season. And I think matching up against that top line, which that's going to be their responsibility, I I believe that the length and the speed of those two can benefit St. Louis in terms of knocking these guys these guys out of the playoffs. Fourth one for me. It's going to come down to discipline. Baruby said it yesterday on the uh, media scrum talking about how they they cannot take dumb penalties and you cannot get caught off guard by Colorado. Colorado speed is going to be a factor in this series. If you get caught in the neutral zone where they're speeding by you and you're taking hooking calls or things like that, you're going to pay because this power play is lethal just as much as the Blues power play is lethal. And Colorado drew the second most penalties in the National Hockey League in the regular season. So discipline for me, if the Blues can say discipline and keep this game at five on five where they've outscored Colorado this season, I think they can win this series in five or six games. And then my fifth one, and I know this is a lot, we can recap them, but sure. my fifth one is going to come down to physicality. We talked about this in the second segment. I think the way that the Blues can get to the Colorado Avalanche is the way that they got to the San Jose Sharks. Make sure that those players physically feel that they just played a game against you. Finish your checks, forecheck hard, follow through on guys that might be a little dinged up because as soon as you do that, they're going to regret going into the boards against you. And here I I talked with Connor McGahee, the radio play-by-play guy, about this very fact and his was this was his answer when I asked him what do the Blues need to do to beat Colorado they are one of the toughest teams to play against uh when you're big and strong and everyone plays like Ryan O'Reilly plays I mean if 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 all of your forwards are playing like Celtic candidates then then that is how you slow down an attack like Colorado so and of course as is the key with the avalanche Philip Grubauer which Jordan Bennington do you see is it Bennington from earlier in the year or is it Bennington from the last two games that Colorado and St. Louis played against each other? So uh, big, heavy blues hockey and Bennington probably 
uh, are the keys to success for St. Louis. So he just gave you two of mine there, and then it comes to the power play success for the Blues, the um, the discipline from not taking penalties, and that Pareko Scandella pairing. Those are my five reasons why the Blues are going to have the upper hand in this series. Sweet baby. Okay. Ferrario convinced me. Let's... So I want to go back to the the goalie situation because I think that's maybe the most interesting of all of these. Because you're you're right. Power play, you got to score there. You got to be disciplined. You don't want them to be on the power play. You want to keep this five on five. That's where the Blues have had their success this season against the Avalanche. But we've seen it here in St. Louis. How many times have we told the story of the Blues postseason success and failures based on, well, what would the goalie do? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's it. Jordan Bennington got hot at the right time. He was unbelievable. Blues win a cup. Previously, uh, the Blues, for whatever reason, their goalies in the playoffs have been quite good sometimes, but especially that decade prior to Jordan Bennington, it, tend, it tended to be the other team just had a goalie that was a little better mm-hmm. than what the Blues had at that time. Jordan Bennington, since April 1st, has been better than Grubauer. Better. He's a better save percentage overall. 921 is where he's at. 92% of the time, he makes the save. Grubauer's at 91. That is not a shot against the bow, uh, across the bow, rather, of Grubauer. He's been quite good. 91% is solid. Jordan Bennington's been awesome the last six weeks now of the regular season. If he can continue that into the postseason, if the Blues, as you said, Pareko in particular, have good defense against this avalanche attack, they're going to give themselves a chance. Now, it's going to be tough. It's not easy, especially now that it it seems like uh, Perron probably will not be a part of this series for the Blues. But they're going to give themselves a chance with Jordan Bennington playing the way he has over the last six weeks. That is... For me, number one, two, three, four, five, that is that is what I would go with, is yeah. Jordan Bennington. Yeah, and I think it's, look, he's 6-0-3 in his last nine games of the regular season. He didn't lose a game in regulation in his final nine games, which is important. And those were games against those Minnesota. Those were games, basically, yeah, they for were, the Blues. They were games against, they were two against Colorado. They were four, three against Minnesota, and they were one against the Vegas Golden Knights. And he did not lose in regulation, which means you're going into one-goal games. And if you're going into overtime, overtime five-on-five in playoffs is a hell of a lot different than three-on-three overtime. So you go to overtime in the games that he lost, you're probably talking about a victory there. So he's a different beast right now. And that's why I wanted to play that Boucher audio because I I think people are down on Bennington. One, because he's not performing like he did in 18-19. But Boucher talked about it, and he said he came into that series and that season with no expectations. Like, he had nothing to prove. He was basically out of the league if it wasn't for that performance. Now he has a contract. Now he's had two contracts. Now he's won a cup. But that's still a guy who goes out there and he will find a reason to get pissed off. It's the Michael Jordan factor. And I'm not calling him Michael Jordan, but he finds a reason to get pissed off at somebody. Look at the San Jose Sharks game. He gets pulled because he's getting blown up, but he just goes by and starts fights with three guys. That's a Jordan Bennington that I would not bet against in a playoff series, especially against a Colorado team. Yeah, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 406. Guys, did Perron fail his follow-up COVID tests? Because best-case scenario is out of game. Worst-case scenario, he could be out all series. We don't know. We, yeah. we just don't know. We'll the NHL keeps this stuff under wraps. All we know right now is he is in the protocol. Mm-hmm. So will he play tonight? The answer is no. It's very unlikely that that will be the case. But could he be back at some point in this series? Maybe. We just don't know yet. And so I'm operating under the assumption that he won't play in this series. And then if he does, that's a that's a really nice thing. The Blues could be able to have. I wanted to play some audio that happened while I was out. Alex, I'm sure you guys played this on the show Thursday or Friday. 
Ryan O'Reilly, you guys made fun of me because the Jordan Bennington were coming thing didn't quite get me going the way that it did for you guys. Ryan O'Reilly had a quote last week that really got me going a little bit. When we're skating and we're physical, I think we give them a lot of issues. And and that's whether it's forecheck or um, defending. When, we're, when we play our heavy game and commit to it and put pucks in and don't feed their rush, we, we make it tough on them and find ways to beat them. And that's, that's what we got to do. That's going to be our focus. We know that they have a lot of talent over there and they work hard. For us, it's, a, it's an exciting challenge. You know, we're, we're going to have some fun and we're going to beat them. Can we listen to that end one more time? We're going to beat them. Hang on. You get excited for that, but when Jordan Bennington says, yeah, we're coming, and then they go on a run to get into the playoffs. It's a little different with Ryan O'Reilly saying it. Jordan Bennington says that stuff all the time. Yeah, we're coming. That's so much better. See, he says that stuff all the time. Ryan O'Reilly does not speak like this. (laughs) We're going to beat them. That doesn't happen. I don't remember the last time I heard Ryan O'Reilly come out in a press conference and say something that is bulletin board material for the opposing team. That's bulletin board material. The Avalanche players, I can promise you, if they haven't already been asked about that, they will be asked about that statement by Ryan O'Reilly. He rarely does stuff like that. So for him to say that, I think he's getting his team going. I think he's getting himself going. You know it's personal because he previously played for Colorado. This is a team that they've been hearing all season long. The Blues have. They're unbeatable. That's the new team. They're the ones that are coming in the West Division. The Blues still have that Stanley Cup attitude about them. Ryan O'Reilly is the captain for a reason. He is going to take it upon himself, and it just got even harder with his linemate not being out there, to shut down that top line. And when I hear confidence like that being exuded by the captain, it makes me believe in the Ferrari 05 that the Blues are going to find a way. You jumping on board? You're damn right, O'Reilly. You jumping on board, T-Bone? Sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. BK, you jumping on board? I loved hearing that from Ryan O'Reilly so much. I loved it. Am I on board that they're going to win? No. I think they're going to oh, lose. I, I think Colorado is going to win this one in six or seven. But there are a hell of a lot of people picking this in four or five. And I think the Blues are going to make this a really tight series. If one of those like 50-50 games goes in their direction, I think they're going to win. I think it's going to come down to one game in game three or four. That's going to go 50-50 one way or the other, right? There's one bounce that goes in the right direction for one of these teams. If it goes in the Blues way, that's going to be the swing game. The Blues are going to win the series. Oh, my God. It sounds so good. Can I give you one more stat real quick? Please. This doesn't, this doesn't apply to Ryan. Well, it kind of does apply to Ryan O'Reilly because they've found ways to shut down that top line. That top line against the Blues in the series, in the season, hit 27 points. Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Rantanen. You take the power play points away. At 15. Eight games. Or se- seven games? Eight games. Eight games? You keep them off the power play, this game's this series is done in six. All right, I'm excited. With yeah, Alex yeah, Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Hey, Skip Schumacher's going to join the show coming up in about 15 minutes or so. The former Cardinals infielder. Skip! Now the Padres' first base coach. Coming up next, though, we got to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Yeah, we're coming. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Skip Schumacher, former Cardinals infielder, joining the show in about 10 minutes or so. Pause. Right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. What's, what's that reference? You don't know who that is? Skip no, Bayless. Sk- Shannon it's from Sharp. Shannon Sharp. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right, man. 
It's okay. We all have You're our days. You're probably better for not knowing That's what true. that reference is, honestly. Oh, okay, so you guys know I did a lot of moving over the last four days. Oh, yeah. How'd that go? It actually went mm, exhausting. <laughs> it was exhausting. I'm not going to put on a brave face and pretend like it yeah. was better than it was. Don't act like it's fun. It was basically four straight days of nonstop doing something. And I'm never buying anything that I have to assemble ever again. Oh, yeah. My TV stand looks great, and I'm glad it's done now. That thing took forever. So we ordered a, uh, a a table from Ashley, right? Ashley Home, whatever. We ordered a table from them, and we had that delivered and assembled through those guys. It took them no longer than 15 minutes for our table to be ready to go and assembled 100%. I spent all night Friday night and then into the morning on Saturday, putting together my TV stand. I got one drawer halfway done by the time they came to and left our house with our table. Did you not know how to read instructions? Do the instructions might as well be in a different language. Well, if you got it from Ikea, they usually are. Well, it, it was Good Wayfair, point. which is like the internet version oh, of Ikea, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. I, I wanted to die. I told my wife after we moved into our first house and she bought furniture from Ikea, I said, never buy anything from this again because oh I, am done, I am done trying to put furniture together just from looking at a picture. So the reason why I bring up my move is because I found a list, um, a poll, actually, of... The states that are most commonly associated with hoarding. So people who self-identified as hoarders across the United States, which states have the most hoarders? I've got the top five for you here, Alex, of the states that have the most hoarders. South Carolina, 50% of the people inside of the state would self-identify themselves as a hoarder. They would tell their friends, hey, I am a hoarder. Ohio is second with about 38%. Alabama, Massachusetts, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania are tied for fifth. Are you guys surprised to learn that Missouri is like in the bottom portion of things when it comes to hoarding, apparently? Because I felt like, I, I do not believe that I am a hoarder, but when I was moving, and I'm sure you've had this, Alex, where you're like, why do I have all of this stuff? Oh, yeah. And so in the moment, you feel like you're hoarding a bunch of crap. Well, I, I wasn't that way. I am like the polar opposite of that. Like when we're packing, my wife's like, you want this? No, pitch it. You want this? No, pitch it. Hell. My wife is the one where it's like she has a she has a container of like, old art projects from grade school. And I'm like, what the yeah. hell do we have this for? Kara has some of that stuff. She's like, like, what is this? Yeah, she's like, well, it's for kids. I said, well, it feels like a box of bricks right now. So like, what are we doing here? Uh, I'm not surprised by it though. No, because I, I mean, a lot of those were some of the Southern States. Um, and I've, I've watched that show hoarders. Before. Oh yeah. First of all, that gives me anxiety watching it. Like that stresses me out. Uh, but I've watched those before, and a lot of those do come from, like, the southern states. Some of it is the poverty line, obviously, but, man, that is uh, that is messed up. That was kind of a weird flex, by the way. What? Did I watch Hoarders? No, not that. The one where you're like, oh, I see it, and whoop, get rid of it, whoop, get rid of it. Kind of oh, kind of no, flex. I'm the same way. If oh, there's no. something well, that we don't flexes. need to I don't think it's a weird flex at all. Like, you, you will do this, Sandra, I promise oh, you. Oh, my God, yeah. There's, there's something that you're like, okay, we do not use this yeah. anymore. Just throw it away. I throw things away. If, like, if I haven't used it in a year, it's going in the trash. Probably bad thing because I lose a lot of stuff that I'd be like, God damn, I should have kept that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Exxon from the 636. Ikea, your poor wives and girlfriends, the Ikea directions can't be any easier. You guys, can you guys even change a light bulb? 
Come on, dude. Okay, get out of here with that <laughs> because Ikea is literally a picture of the, the thing and it tells you, be like, here's what you needed. There's here no the 75 yeah. tools in front of you. Good luck for you. You're looking at a picture use. and you're like, oh, is that screw on this side of the thing or is it on that side of the sit? I put so much stuff together from Ikea that like I put it together and I'm like, nope, this is backwards. Listen, man. Get out of I here. I know I'm incompetent with all of this stuff. I, I have not tried to hide any of that. I'm not shying away from it. This was different. Get out of Th- here. This was on a different level yeah. compared to normal for Get me. Get out of here. Alex, what do you have for us today? So in the speaking of man? hoarding, I don't know if you guys saw this, but news last week and put a lot of people into uproar. Chick-fil-A is on a Chick-fil-A sauce shortage. What? Yeah. So like they are short on the products to make the sauce. So they're basically telling people you're only allowed to have one when you come. Uh. And look, I don't know about either of you. I'm are a you, buffalo guy. Are myself. you guys users or abusers of sauce, whether it be at like Raisin Cane's or oh, Chick fil A? We had the uh, tailgate package at our house over the weekend uh-huh. from Raisin Cane's, like three different sauces, one for each chicken yeah. finger, basically. I, I am an abuser. Like, I'll go. Uh, part of the reason they might be on a shortage is because of me, because I've gone there and they're like, you need anything? And I'm like, yeah, uh, about. Uh, two or three buffalo sauces, some honey <laughs> yeah. mustard, and then a lot of Chick-fil-A sauce. And then she puts the handful in, and I'm like, yeah, can I have, like, two more of those, please? Or when you go to Taco Bell, it's like, yeah, just oh, yeah. just like 50 of the hots. That'll be fine. I, I feel like Taco Bell doesn't care about their mild sauces no. because every time I go there, it's always just literally the guy puts two hands into the thing and just drops it into your bag. I am an abuser of sauce, yeah. and I am an abuser of salsa. It, oh, it, yeah. Like one chip for the full jar of salsa, more or less. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. gone. I've never been a user. It's always abuser. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in about ten minutes or so, we will give you our third and final code word of the day. So that way, you guys can get in on three strikes. If you know all three of the code words for the day, you will have a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to Wednesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals versus the Pirates series. But coming up next, we're talking to Skip Schumacher, former Cardinals infielder, and now the Padres' first base coach. Skip is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Here in about 10 minutes or so, we will give you our third and final code word of the day for our four pack of tickets to this Wednesday night's Budweiser bash for Cardinals versus Pirates. If you have all three code words at the end of this segment, text them in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, and you will be registered to potentially play in three strikes in our next segment. You got to get three questions correct before you get the three strikes. That will be coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But Alex, I know there's a little bit of an update from the Blues morning skate. What do you have for us, my man? So no Perron still, according to Luke Korak, who is out uh, in Colorado for the practice right now. He's tweeting from the lines. Uh, Perron not on the ice, and Vince Dunn is on the ice. So it looks like Vince Dunn could be playing, and this one came out of nowhere. So we'll have to wait until Craig Bruby addresses the media in about 10 minutes or so. But Marco Scandella is not on the ice today. Now that mm. could be something that popped up because he did skate the last couple of days with the team. It could be a maintenance day for him. 
or who knows right now. So we'll have to wait to find out from Craig Berube. So here's what it looks like, according to Lou Korak in this morning's skate. Schwartz O'Reilly with Shem, Barbashev, Bozak, Tarasenko, Hoffman, Thomas, and Kairou, Clifford, Sanford, and Blay. Krugen, Falk, done with Pareko and Mikola and Bortuzzo. So really the only surprise here is the done in with Pareko instead of Scandella. Everything else is as has been Correct. the case at practice so far this week. So the rush lines for the forwards, all the same. It looks like Costin not going to be yeah. a part of the lineup tonight, uh, as kind of expected, frankly. And then the defensive pairings, it's Dunn and Pareko, Mikola and Bortuzzo. Looks like Tarasenko's back as well. Yep, you got Tarasenko on with Barbashev and Bozak. More on the Blues coming up here later on today. Coming up right now, though, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by former Cardinals infielder. He is a 2011 World Series champion. Skip Schumacher's joining the show via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Skip, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So uh, not a great weekend for the Cardinals, but I would imagine a, a pretty darn good weekend for your team. What was what was your guys' biggest takeaway coming out of that sweep against the Cards? Yeah, I think uh, two really good teams that were uh, caught the injury bug a little bit. And, um, you know, it's that type of time of year where, you know, teams aren't fully healthy and, um and kind of caught each other, maybe not at full strength. And so we don't really know how exactly we match up with each other probably until uh, when we see each other again in September. But, um, you know, we'll take those three wins any day, any uh, any series. So, Skip, watching that Cardinals team for three days, what's your main takeaway from just seeing their roster now that with kind of a different look with Nolan Arenado a piece to it? Yeah, it's scary. And uh, with uh, your shortstop, uh, you know, being out too, that that lineup is real. Um, Nolan and, and Goldie in the middle there is, is such a professional professional lineup and veteran hitters that know how to get the job done. And I still think Yachty is the scariest guy in the lineup uh, with runners in scoring position. Um, and so I think it's just a, it's a dangerous professional lineup. And uh, you know, you got to have to, you have to really work to navigate through that lineup and uh, our pitchers did a good job this weekend. So, so uh, knowing that these two players are not Albert Pujols, but would take you back to 2011 when you watched that one, two punch of Pujols and holiday, how much does Goldschmidt and Arenado kind of remind you of that threat right in the middle of the lineup? Well, I think it's very similar. I think they're both professional hitters. I think they're uh, hall of fame candidates and, and Goldie and, and Nolan. And, um, you know, not only on, the offensive side, but the defensive side of the baseball, they're, they're so good. Um, they run the bases the right way. They're good for the clubhouse. So it's a lot of similarities. And, you know, anytime you add a Nolan Arenado, and I know I've known him since he was, you know, 14, 15 years old, um, I know the quality of person you get and here that you're getting. Um, you know, again, I mean, he killed us again, three home runs this weekend, killed us every time at Petco Park, and that's all I've ever seen uh, since I've been in this division. So, um, I'm glad he's out of here. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> Skip, one other guy that I wanted to ask you about on the Cardinals is Tommy Edmond because, I mean, we've been amazed by the way defensively he's moving around. You saw him at shortstop this weekend. He's played, I mean, gold glove caliber defense this year at second. He had to go out in the outfield early on this year when Harrison Bader was hurt. And he has drawn some comparisons to what you were like early in your career here in St. Louis where you were playing all over the diamond. Can you see that comp in, I mean, you have the experience doing it. Just how difficult is that for a guy like Tommy Edmond who's playing, I mean, plus defense wherever he's been at so far? 
Yeah, I don't think it's a fair comp because I was definitely not a plus defender wherever <laughs> I was. So that's not a real fair comp for him. But uh, no, I think, you know, St. Louis has a, it just has a really good job of identifying baseball players in the draft, right? Like you see these guys come up through the system all the time with Descalzo or now Edmund. And here he is. He's just a guy that's producing at the top of the lineup, gives you competitive at bats, runs the bases right. Wherever you put him, you can trust him. And he's just a baseball player in St. Louis for whatever, however they do it in their shouting department, they got to be commended for it because they keep finding these guys uh, that are just baseball players or winning players. And no doubt is he one of those type of players. And um, they're very lucky to have him. Now that you're on the coaching side, Skip, how tough is it to kind of uh, to, to pull out that potential in those players like that that may not be high draft picks or may not be highly touted prospects, but guys who can be effective from the coaching standpoint, how tough is it to, to kind of break that through with those players? Yeah, I mean, uh, as a coach, you get, you know, sometimes you can get caught in these uh, prospect guys where you, you know, watching this big time power or big time arm strength or whatever it is. But when it's actual game time and the seventh inning, can you trust that prospect? And for me, Tommy Edmond is the guy that I would trust instead of that, you know, light tower power, the guy that can throw it a million miles an hour. It doesn't really matter to me if you can't make the routine play or get the button down at the right time or get the guy over the right time or get the guy in fundamental baseball and that's what wins championships and not these highly touted prospects that you know might not you, you just don't know and uh so if you can get the best version out of that player in the minor leagues and teach them the right way and then you find kind of like that in that unicorn in fernando tatis or whatever uh then you have then you have a chance to you know to do some things but you need those guys the tommy Edmond guys to uh to win championships the daniel descalzos the john jays uh, to win championships, and uh, there's no doubt you have one in Tommy. 2011 World Series champion Skip Schumacher joining us here on 101 ESPN. Now the Padres' associate manager, and from what I understand, in charge of their running game as well. And Skip, I did want to ask you a little bit about your development, your experience here in St. Louis, and how that's helped you now in on the coaching side of things. You got to see guys like TLR, Okendo, Kissel. What was it like, the upbringing that you had coaching-wise here in St. Louis, and how has that influenced you as a coach now in the big leagues? Yeah, everything that I have, that I know now, has been taught you know, to me. Um, nothing has been my own. I just have kind of made it molded into my own. Um, so I would, I would know nothing without Dave McKay as far as the base running is concerned. I would know nothing about what chemistry and culture and all that truly means without Matt Holliday, Chris Carpenter, Tony La Russa. Um, I would not know anything about leadership. If it wasn't for Wayne Wright and Carpenter. So all that, all that stuff and you just, it was taught. And then, then I kind of, you know, molded into my own. So Dave McKay was the one that taught me how to be a first base coach, how to be a good outfielder and, and how to run the bases and what he looks for and the tips and tells and, and sequences. And so it, all it is, is work and you just dive in and um, it's, it's up to you. And we, we take base running very serious. Dave McKay took base running very serious. I, I believe in it. And uh, I know St. Louis does as well. And um, you know, as many as tips as I had, you know, on, on your pitchers this weekend, there's a guy uh, number four behind the plate that made it really <laughs> difficult to run. So, um, you know, that's always a challenge too. He's, he's uh, as good as there's ever been. 
And so as much as I had wanted to take a bag, I knew that we might be running into outs too with Yachty behind the plate. Skip, I love watching your team because you guys are willing to take those chances. And right now you lead Major League Baseball with 43 steals. You've been caught stealing 12 times, but I mean, it's a great percentage. 55 stolen base attempts on the year. No other team has attempted more than 40 this season. Uh, what What is it about your philosophy that allows this team to do that. I mean, there are so many teams that are just giving up on the stolen base, and you guys seem to have that as like a core foundational piece of what you're trying to build out there. Yeah, we're going to be aggressive. I think, uh, you know, Wayne Kirby that we brought over from you know the Baltimore days and Bobby Dickerson, and uh, they believe in base running. And for me, uh, aggressive base running. For me, I think there's so much emphasis on velocity nowadays that, that pitchers are just trying to create and try to ramp up and load more and do all these things. And all they care about is throwing harder and faster. Um, And so when you see that it's a free bag um, because it takes so long to throw it, uh, you know, to home and and the stolen bases aren't against Yachty. They're against the pitcher. Um, And so if we can find something uh, to, you know, it's so difficult to hit now that 99 mile hour pitch and cutter and whatever it is, that now we can find ways to win baseball games other than just the home run. And um, if we can get guys on second and third with Manny Machado up, I like my chances. Um, and so it, it changes the shift. It changes all kinds of things in the infield uh, alignment. And so uh, I think it's, uh, it's a winning style of, of baseball. Skip, are you surprised that not more teams have that mentality in baseball today? Because it just seems like there's a lot of teams that are, that they want to stay away from stealing bases because those at bats are so important. Yeah. But I think, you know, the, the other side of it is, uh, you know, we have smart athletes that understand the information that we're giving them, uh, you know, fast uh, players as well at really athletic players, but, I think people are so fearful of making uh, outs on the bases that they just get away from the stolen base and they just, um, they don't care about it as much. And, and we do, we, we really believe in, in this being a winning type of baseball. And, and by the way, if you start to worry about us on the bases, then you might leave one over the middle for Manny Machado. So I think it works in a lot of different areas and um, so far so good. It's interesting, Skip, because I, I think, you know, some of the, the analytics work that you read will say, hey, it's not as valuable. The, the, the out is more valuable than the potential of the stolen base. And yeah, you guys are doing this so successfully. Was there ever a time where you got pushback from anybody in the front office and, and you explained kind of, you know, why it makes sense? Or was this kind of full buy in from day one? Yeah, full buy-in. AJ Preller has led us coach, and uh, Josh Stein, the assistant GM, has led us coach. And we present the information, and if it's if it if it's real, it's not just BS and stuff thrown against the wall. And we can help win us a game. That can help win us a game. Then, then it's worth it. Um, it's a scouting report, just like anything else. And if if we can, if it helps us win the game, then why not? And I just don't I don't understand why people just decide that base running is not part of the game anymore. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we'll just stop doing it. Just um, doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, the old Cardinal days, those guys were running crazy. Um, why? Why is it stopped? And I think uh, if pitchers don't know how to control the running game, they don't belong in the big leagues. It's never on the catcher. And so, for me, if you if you can't control the running game, and it's going to cost you a, a stolen base, or it's going to cost you leaving one over the middle, you don't belong in the major leagues. And uh, so that's kind of what we're getting to. We hope.
Well, it's refreshing to watch. It's fun to watch. I, th- I think it's a better brand of baseball, personally. Last question that I've got for you is we're talking to Skip Schumacher, 2011 World Series champion and now Padres associate manager. Skip, you mentioned him earlier. He's a unicorn. You get to watch Fernando Tatis Jr. when healthy every night. What is that experience like? I mean, is is there anything that you can even compare it to? I can't. And the scary thing is he's so young that he's going to keep growing and better. He's not even in his prime yet. Um, and so he's so instinctual, whether it's on the bases, in the field. He understands pitch sequencing uh, at the plate. Um, he's always tinkering, which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. He's just always trying to get better. He has kind of that growth mindset uh, that he wants to be the best ever. And I can't identify that because I was just trying to survive in the main <laughs> right? So, like, there's guys that I played with, like Albert, who was trying to be the best ever. And um, and so Toddy has that kind of that uh, motivation. And, and when a, a really, really good player, like your best player, has motivation, that's a scary con- – that's a very scary combo. And, um, and so we're excited that he's on our side, and I think the sky's the limit for this kid. Well, Skip, we appreciate the time today, man. All the best to you, all the best to the team, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk with you again down the road as we see maybe a playoff series between these two teams again. All the best, man, and thanks so much for the time today. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Skip Schumacher, former Cardinals. Uh, infielder, outfielder, utility man, extraordinaire, all around fantastic human being, 2011 World Series champion, doing great work. And anybody that you hear talk that covers the team out in San Diego or has spent any amount of time with Skip will tell you the same thing. That dude's going to be a manager. Mm -hmm. Sooner rather than later, he's going to be a manager in Major League Baseball. And And I think you can hear why. And he's working underneath one of the better ones right now in A.J. Preller with the San Diego Padres. And you heard him say that he lets the guys manage. And I think that's the way you groom some of those guys to become managers. Yeah, It's a heck of a coaching staff out there in San Diego. It is 118. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. All right, we've been telling you about it all day long. We have an outstanding giveaway. We're not just doing this today either, Alex. We got it tomorrow as well. We've got your chance coming up next to win a four-pack of tickets to this Wednesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Pirates. We're giving away your final code word right now. The final code word for the day today. The first one we gave away in the first hour, the second one in the second hour, and now your final code word is Albert. A-L-B-E-R-T. Albert is your final like code Albert? word. Similar, but I was thinking more Albert Pools. Sorry. If you know all three code words, send them into the text line now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Get them in, and we may just give you a call on the other side. You will be a participant in three strikes. You've got to get three questions correct before you get three strikes. Your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to Wednesday night's game between the Cardinals and the Pirates coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got our contestants on the line. Let's play a game of three strikes. Oh, baby. So we've got our first contestant. His name is Justin. Alex, his name is Justin. And the way this is going to work. 
It's a game of three strikes. You have to get three questions correct before you get the three strikes. That makes sense? Three questions before you get three wrong. So if you get these three questions correct before the three strikeouts, you, Justin, will win our four-pack of tickets to this Wednesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus the Pirates. We'll go ahead and get things started right now. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Dan Rosen, senior writer for NHL.com. Alex, I'll read the first question. You can get the second one, my man. And, Justin, if you could keep this quick, about five minutes here, or five seconds rather here, That'll be the best way to do it. If you go longer than five seconds, we'll give you the buzz. Are that fair? Yep. All good. right. Sounds good. Let's play a game of three strikes here on BK and Ferrario. Tanner, you got our music ready for us? Yes, sir. Oh, all right. The first question for you. Are you Aaron Rodgers right now? Who was the first Cardinals player to win National League MVP? Who was the first Cardinal player to win National League MVP, Justin? Um, Stan Musial. That's strike one. All right. Strike one against you, Justin. Here we go, Justin. Next one up. Dylan Carlson is in the running for National League Rookie of the Year this season. The Cardinals have six NL Rookie of the Year winners in their history. Can you name two of them? NL Rookie of the Year. The Cardinals have had six of them. Can you name two of them, Justin? Two National Uh, League Rookie of the Years. Albert and... Uh, Hazelbaker. Oh. <laughs> you got one of you them. You got one of them. All right, next one up for you. Fernando Tatis Jr.'s father, Fernando Tatis, once hit two grand slams in one inning for the Cardinals. Which team did he accomplish that feat against? Who did he hit two grand slams in one inning against, Justin? The Dodgers. That Look is correct. You, Justin. All right, so don't we even have need one time. Right. We've got two strikes. All right. Albert Pujols finished the Cardinals career with the second best slugging percentage in team history. Justin, who has the best slugging percentage in Cardinals history? Got to be standing, man. I'm sorry, Justin. Sorry, Justin. I'm sorry, buddy. We're not going to give out that answer just yet because we can start there with our next contestant. Our next contestant is Paul. Paul, do you understand the rules of three strikes? All right, we've got Paul on the line. I think. Paul, we're going to ask you the question that we just asked to Justin that knocked him out. Albert Pujols finished his Cardinals career with the second best slugging percentage in team history. Who finished their career with the best slugging percentage in Cardinals history? And we just lost Paul. Do we have another backup on the line? Sorry, Paul. Didn't sound like Paul... Didn't sound like another Justin. We got another Justin, or is this the same Justin saying, "No, <laughs> I'm going to get this one"? <laughs> All right, we've got another Justin on the line. Hey, Justin, you there with us, man? Yeah, I am. How's it going? I'm doing well. Do you understand the rules of three strikes? Uh, can you give it to me one more time? You got it. So you're going to get three strikes. If you get three questions correct before you get the three strikes, so three questions wrong, you will win the four pack of tickets to Wednesday night's game. You got it. Perfect. All right. Sounds good, man. You got about five seconds after we ask these questions. That way we can keep this thing moving a little bit. Sure. sure. Question to you. Albert Pujols finished his Cardinals career with the second best slugging percentage in team history. Who has the best slugging percentage in Cardinals history? Oh, gosh. I have no clue. Um, Let's just go with um, Mark McGuire. 
No clue, and Justin nails it on the head. All right, that's one right, two away, Justin. Next question for you. Three Cardinals have won the Triple Crown. Can you name one of those Cardinals? The Triple Crown. Oh, gosh, I don't even know what that one either. Um, Let's just go with uh, Bob Gibson. Nope, not that one. All right, you've got one strike. You've got one question correct. Let's go with an easy one here for you. All right, Justin? Who leads the Cardinals in walks this season? Who leads the Cardinals in walks so far this season? Oh, uh, Tommy Edmonds. All right, we got two strikes and one correct answer. All right, next one for you, Justin. Which Cardinals starter has the best ERA this year? Um, let's go with uh, Jack Flaherty. I have no clue. <laughs> Sorry, Justin. Sorry, Justin. Good effort, man. All right, that is three strikes. Paul must be back. Back on the line. All right, Paul, we're going to give you the same questions that we just gave him. Maybe we'll have better answers here. (laughs) Oh, wow. That was a shot at Justin. Paul, your first question. Which Cardinal starter has the best ERA so far this season? Uh, Let's go, Arenado. Cardinal starter, starting pitcher. Which Cardinal starting pitcher has the best ERA so far this season? Oh, pitcher, my bad. Um, uh, Carpenter. I mean, technically, he's not <laughs> Actually, wrong. I mean, he's a bullpen pitcher, but he starter, got zero though. there. All right, next one for you, Paul. How many times did Bob Gibson lead the league in strikeouts? How many times? Yep. Did Bob Gibson lead the league in strikeouts? Uh, let's go. <laughs> what, what? Who'd you go with? Sorry, you got out there. <laughs> okay. Well, sounded like Paul. One more time. Okay, he's gone. He's gone. Sorry, he's Paul. Gone. Sorry, Paul. Good Do thing we is, have anybody else? The good thing the is right we now? have four more questions. So, like, you, you got to get three out of four right. All All right, right. let's go to Kevin. (laughs) Kevin, we've got a game of three strikes here. Your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to the Cardinals game on Wednesday. (laughs) Do you understand the rules of the game? I do indeed. All right, Kevin, let's start out with this one. We'll give you an easy one. Tommy Edmond leads the Cardinals. He has seven stolen bases this year. Who is second on the team with four? Oh, man. (laughs) Um, Holy cow. Bader, I don't know. <laughs> All right. One strike. One strike. Next one. How many times did Albert Pujols lead the league in home runs for an individual season? I will go with three. The MVP year. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Let's go with this. Um, Skip Schumacher played for three teams in his major league career. Can you name two of them? Cardinals and Dodgers. Woohoo! Yeah, baby. That is one question correct. All right, next question for you. Um, who was the first Cardinal to win NL MVP? The first Cardinals player to win National League MVP. Oh man. Um, it wasn't Dizzy. Let's go with Hornsby. 
That's two. We got one right. strike. We got two questions correct. All right. Next one. I think we're going. We're going to go with this one. Fernando Tatis Jr.'s father, Fernando Tatis, once hit two grand slams in one inning for the Cardinals. Which team did he accomplish the feat against? It was California. I think it was the Dodgers. Hey! We've got a winner. All right. (laughs) Congratulations, my friend. Hey, stay on the line. We'll get your information. We're going to play this game again tomorrow. And, boys, I've got an idea. I think tomorrow we go multiple choice with this. I think that's a probably really good option. And I think we make the questions a little easier just want to say i did suggest multiple choice <laughs> i gave i i wanted to give them more credit um i shouldn't have done that we learned our lesson <laughs> six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line all of the praise coming from all across the world Yikes. radio gold boys <laughs> at least once a week bk and ferrario have a segment that tanks and i'm very much here for it is that, is that <laughs> technically us that tanked that segment or technically it would be the callers that tanked that segment. Where do you guys find these people? This is our text line. You guys get mad at us. The text line gets mad at us at least 20 times a week. Someone said very obvious that you gave him the answers. How would we give him the answers? We legitimately (laughs) called him in the middle of that segment. Congratulations on winning the four pack of tickets to Wednesday night's Budweiser bash for Cardinals versus Pirates. We will have another opportunity for you to win tickets tomorrow right around this same time. Hopefully it goes a little bit better. Coming up next, Dan Rosen's going to help us preview this Blues versus Avalanche series. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Huge apologies to Dan Rosen, who is, has been incredibly gracious with his time to join us today. We had a trivia segment previously that went awry. We have a text from the 217. Suggestions for questions for the audience tomorrow. What city are the St. Louis Cardinals from? Who is the Cardinals stadium named after? And maybe who has been the Cardinals starting catcher since 2004? Maybe that would have made it go a little better. I think Yikes. I could get those three. Yeah, I think the audience could get that tomorrow. So right now, we're very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by senior writer for NHL.com, Dan Rose. And Dan, thank you so much for the time today, man. Excited to have you on. What are you most looking forward to in this series between the Blues and the Avalanche? Well, I'm glad to be on with you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm looking forward to see if the Blues are a team that can somehow slow down the Avalanche. That, like, you know, I talked to Craig Berube not long ago. We had him on our podcast, the NHL at the Ring podcast, and he said the Blues have become a little bit more of a rush team, not as much of what they were a couple of years ago when they won the Stanley Cup. They're going to have to be what they were a couple of years ago when they won the Stanley Cup to compete in this series and have a chance to win it because the Avalanche can fly they got guys all over the ice that can score. Uh, they, they had, I think, I, I can't remember exactly how many, but they had a number of players. I think it was nine or ten players with 30 or more points this season, uh, led by Miko Rantanen, who had 66. And he only led the team because Nathan McKinnon was missing games. McKinnon's back. He's healthy, ready to go. Uh, so can the Blues slow down this Avalanche team that, to me, 
if they can't, is ticketed for a Stanley Cup this season. Dan, I am so surprised that a team that won the Cup two years ago, and albeit, yes, a team that is very different than that team two years ago, is the least favored team going into this first round of playoffs. And I understand Colorado is just a their machine right now on the ice, but are you a little surprised that people aren't giving the Blues any chance in this series? No, <laughs> I'm not. Um, the Avalanche have proven it all year long. Now they're healthy. Grubauer is back. McKinnon's good to go. Uh, they obviously are, are loaded, as we've talked about. Uh, they're they, they're ready for that next step. You know, they're a team that has been primed to be taking that next step right now. Whereas you flip it around, yeah, okay, St. Louis won the Cup two years ago, and I get that. Petrangelo's gone. Bomeister's gone. That's two huge cogs in that team that are no longer there. Uh, so that's a big miss. Tarasenko's not 100%. He'll play, but he's not 100%. Um, David Perron is not playing, still on the COVID list. Vince Dunn is out. Uh, you're missing so many key elements to what the team was a couple of years ago to win the Stanley Cup. And one of those guys, the elements that's going to be back is Tarasenko. But again, what are you getting from Tarasenko? Is He's not going to be the pre-surgery Tarasenko or the pre-lower body injury Tarasenko. You know? So it's a little bit different. They are a different team. The, all that said, they're a championship core team. So they know how to play at this time of year. And they're led by a guy who is the ultimate in terms of lead by example in Ryan O'Reilly and follow me, I'll take you there type of leader. And that's why they shouldn't be just written off. But you look around the league and you say, what's the series that has the biggest discrepancy in what we've seen so far this season? To me, it's Colorado-St. Louis. Dan, if I took you to the future real quick, we're two weeks from now, and I tell you, hey, the Blues ended up finding a way to beat the Avalanche in six games. And right. you have to explain to your previous self, hey, this is how it happened. What do you think would have to happen for that to be the case? Put the puck in deep, grind, hit, hit, check to get the puck back, uh, be as strong as you possibly can along the walls and in the corners, and just generally frustrate the Colorado Avalanche. Just just stop them from a transition game. Stop them from allow letting their speed get through the middle of the ice and put you on your heels, you know, if you're the Blues. It, it's got to be all of that. And that's why I said they got to go back to playing. The, they they got to play the style that, that won them the Cup two years ago to beat this team. That's how you beat this team. And very few teams are able to do it because of how good the Avalanche are at playing their game. But if you can get them out of their game by banging them around, hitting them when they don't expect it, hitting them when they do expect it, you know, frustrating them in the corners and on the walls and forcing them to, to, you know, throw a stick jab back at you and there's a slashing penalty or a hooking penalty and you get yourself on the power play, that's how it's going to have to be done. Uh, You know, it's not the prettiest hockey. It is playoff hockey, though. How crucial is Jordan Bennington going to be in this series if the Blues want to have any chance, Dan? Well, I mean, look, goaltending is crucial regardless, right? I mean, it's the most important element um, for in any season, in any playoffs. Uh, you know, it's, it's a coach killer or a coach maker. If you have bad goaltending, you could be the greatest coach in the world, you'll get fired. If you have good goaltending, you could be an average coach and you can go, you know, have a, have a great run. But Bennington in this series, I mean, he's got to be their best player. I mean, he's got to be their best penalty killer. He's got to be the best guy out there. He's got to help lead the tra- you know, uh, lead the breakouts as best he can. You know, he, he really does have to be that guy because we know 
you know, the, the, the firepower that he's up against. That's the thing. And, and if he is Jordan Bennington of what he was a couple of years ago, what he's been at times this season too, well, then all of a sudden St. Louis has a chance, but they need a lot more too. And, and I don't want to make this sound like I'm writing them off because I'm not. It's, you know, the, the games are closer than we give credit to. This league is, the parity is so great. It's not like the Avalanche are 10 times better than this team or anything like that, but they're better and now St. Louis has to be able to find a way to frustrate them. And Bennington's got to be the guy that frustrates them because he's got to be the one making these 10-bell saves and standing on his head and doing what he can do. We're talking to Dan Rose, and you can check out his work over at NHL.com. Give him a follow on Twitter as well, at DRosenNHL. He's a senior writer for NHL.com. Dan, I did want to ask you about Ryan O'Reilly because for me, there was a game, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, where the Blues were kind of up against it and they needed to get some wins quickly because they were right in the thick of that playoff race. And mm-hmm. Ryan O'Reilly basically said, over my dead body, we are not losing this game. And he took it personally. He ended up with, I think, two goals that night. And he was the driving force behind the Blues winning that game. To me, he is the single most important other than Bennington, because as you mentioned, goaltending is always important. He's the most important guy for the Blues to be able to shut down that top line for the Avalanche, and he's got to generate offense for the Blues. What what does he need to do in this series to give the Blues a chance specifically? I think you might be talking about the game on April 29th. I think it was against Minnesota. Yes. It was uh, the third or fourth win in a row. Like they, It was their time where they were peaking, you know, where the Coyotes were falling out and the Blues were like, we can take this now. And they were winning against the Avs and they were winning against the Wild. And, you know, that's really where they took it over. And they had a real strong finish. I, I think Ryan O'Reilly's got to play the game like that. I mean, like, like, like we've seen him play. He, he's got to He's got to be relentless on the floor. Well, first off, He's got to win faceoffs, and he's among the best in the league at doing that. And he he wins faceoffs. The Blues will get the puck. He'll get the puck in the offensive zone. Game will be game will come a lot easier to him. Number one, got to win the faceoffs. Two, when you don't have the puck, you got to check to get it back, and that's what he does so well. He he's relentless on the ice. He's relentless on the forecheck in terms of checking to get the puck back. He's not going to lay out with a huge hit. He can, but he's not going to need to. He's really good at that job of checking to get the puck back, and he's going to have to do that. And it's, he, it's not the easiest thing. If he's going up against the McKinnon line, I mean, good luck checking Nathan McKinnon. He's, all, he's one of the fastest, if not the fastest, player in the league outside of Connor McDavid, right? So that's a task. But Ryan O'Reilly's up for it. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly has played this game before. He's played against McKinnon. He played with McKinnon. He knows exactly what he's up against. Um, and that's why it's going to be key to keep the puck away from Nathan McKinnon. And you do that, number one, by starting out winning faceoffs. Well, we're looking forward to this series. It begins tonight. Pre-game coverage for Blues versus Avalanche right here on 101 ESPN beginning at 8 o'clock. Dan, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy this postseason, and hopefully we'll talk with you down the road. Sounds good. Anytime, guys. Thanks, Dan. Absolutely. That's Dan Rosen here on 101 ESPN. Again, Alex Ferrario's got your... Pre-game coverage beginning at 8 o'clock tonight. Puck drop at 9. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario 
Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of the show today, it was a good one outside of our three strikes game. Everything else I would recommend checking out on the that podcast well. page. I thought that went well. On 101 ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by I Promise. Crossing things over with the fast lane. And we've got Anthony Stalter in studio. Stalter, what's good, man? What's good with you? You got you got the the house going. You're ready to go now. Uh, pretty much, yeah. It's mostly together. It'll yeah. take probably another week or two of making sure everything's good. The problem is, so like, if I could finish things up this upcoming weekend, I'd be good. But we've got a wedding in Chicago, so it's gonna go from like us trying to put the finishing touches on this week throughout the week while we've got work and whatnot going on. And then going straight up to Chicago for the weekend and then coming back. So it's going to be Memorial Day weekend and we'll finally have it. Don't don't try. I mean, look, there's there's the best piece of advice I can give you now that you're a homeowner is that there's always something to be oh, yeah. fixed. I've there's always that. something to do. And just when you think you've got a handle on it, something else will come about and you'll have to fix that as well. The best part is like we love this house, right? It's got mostly everything that we were looking for when we were looking for a new place. And then we walk through the door, and Kara's like, I've got 27 projects for you. It's like, oh, <laughs> okay, okay, cool, great. So it's it's just like nonstop, here's what we could do next, and here's what we can do next. Yeah. And this is not a shot against Kara by any stretch. I've got a bunch of stuff that I would like to do as well. But it's just it's the reality of, okay, now we have to start prioritizing what are the important things for now versus what's going to be important later on. So we've we've already gotten quite a bit done. Um, my grill is ready to go, which was my priority number one, frankly. Sure. Uh, so Especially with the, war- the weather warming up, you're good now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm golden. I'm golden. I wasn't allowed to touch Keith's grill, but now I've got my own, and so now I'm good to go. Well, when Keith comes over, you say, hands off the grill. <laughs> That's dude. right. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the fast line, my man? Well, we have an a in-depth look with Jamie when it comes to the avalanche. We've got to get into the David Perron situation. We'll ask BT what happened out in San Oof. Diego uh, with the Cardinals being swept by the Padres. Jer is going to join us. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much that pretty much covers it. Blues, yeah. Cardinals. Yeah, no biggie. Just Blues postseason. we got the Cardinals in the midst of they're officially a quarter of the way through the season now. So I'm looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Powered by I Promise.